Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. This voice that you're hearing right now, you hear it on every episode, that's Trevor Dane. The other voice you'll soon hear that you hear on every episode, that's Matt Feuerstein. And the voice you hear occasionally, he's our most frequent guest, but he hasn't been on in quite some time. You will hear it in just a few seconds. Joe Gagne, the Godfather Wrestling Podcast, five-star match game, Joe versus the world, guest appearances on every single goddamn wrestling podcast. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been a while. What have I missed? It's It's absolutely the longest you've ever gone without having Joe on the show. It's been over a year since Joe Gagne appeared on Through the Years. That's never happened before. So does that just speak to how Ring of Honor absolutely abandoned New England during this era? I believe there was a show scheduled for March of 2006 and was canceled, and we did not get one until this event. So this, this was, I believe, the longest I had gone in between Ring of Honor shows. The last one I was on was the very first Brian Danielson-Roderick Strong match that I attended with Matt. Yeah, I don't know about you, Matt, but this uh, last year, for some reason, has been the best year of my life, and so I, I didn't really <laughs> put that together until now. Um, no, but seriously, it's great to have Joe back. I mean, he's like the good luck charm for wrestling podcasts. Um, and it's uh, great to be covering another Ring of Honor show. So we will get to, as usual, the news that between the last Ring of Honor show we covered and this one. There's a few little pieces. Um, first, Matt, a momentous occasion happened between the last show and this show in the timeline. And I'll just go to the PW Torch. This news will shock you. It will shake us to the core. The Torch wrote, the top five rankings in Ring of Honor have been discontinued. <gasps> ROH announced that they've decided to put the top five rankings, which haven't been utilized in challenges to the Ring of Honor world title consistently for a long period of time, on hiatus. ROH hasn't been consistent in the ways they determine contenders for the no, ROH yes, world they title. Have. Come on. <laughs> As they've largely ignored the top five rankings and named challengers for Danielson through the open contracts he sends out to other promotions. They have not ignored oh, I saw that video with Jimmy Yang as like number two for like <laughs> five straight shows back in the March 2006 DVDs. So bullshit, Torch. Uh, ROH has also put wrestlers who are not in the top five rankings, such as AJ Styles, Colt Cabana, and Delirious, in matches with Danielson with little or no storyline built. So if I do remember correctly, Matt, I think this is the last time we will see during our run the top five rankings that this is the time it finally stays dead for good. It does not rise again like a zombie. But Ring of Honor tried probably what, three or four different ranking systems, whether we had like the, the number one. The Contenders Ring or the Contenders Circle, which one is it? I can't wait. Yeah, and then and remember when originally in the earliest time it was like the idea of it was an the number one contendership was an actual like title like a trophy that you had to defend in matches before you cashed it in. Like Let, let's just let's the, just be real here. Between this AEW, really any other promotion, wrestling promotion should just stop it with the rankings. It's just too hard. It's a pain in the ass. No one wants to bother with it and keeping it updated. Just forget about it. It's okay. No one will be mad at you. You don't have to do them anymore. No more yeah. rankings. No more trying to really uh, look closely at wins and losses. Just pretend. It's fake. Pretend that it makes sense. And the thing is, you can get most of the benefits of booking like that you get from rankings if you just book as if you have rankings but don't like 
publish them, like make it so when people get title shots, they win a bunch first, you know, have people that don't win a lot on the lower part of the card. Like the, the only thing you do with rankings really, I mean, like in theory, I like it. Like the nerd part of me likes yeah, it, which is, yeah. let's be fair, a big part of me, but um, uh, like it just makes people so rigid. Like, like the first time, you know, you saw that with AEW, like the first time someone isn't like number one in the rankings gets a title shot or something, you know, all it does is it causes you headaches. It doesn't like it's not worth the rewards you get. No one's like, wow, you know, this match between number four and three in the rankings. It's really more exciting because I know the winner of this is going to become number two in the rankings. Like also it doesn't. Add. Also, do real combat sports rigidly follow these things? Because I feel like if they have a money match, they just make it, right? Like, they they don't... Exactly, they blow out the rankings. I mean, to be fair, people complain about that, too. But Sure, but yeah, the point absolutely. is, like, the, in wrestling, you don't even have to fake it if you, if you really don't want to. Yeah. But yes, as a nerd, I also like them in concept, but just in practice, it always just seems overly complicated and... It always seems abandoned, and also it's just more fun to let like Pro Wrestling Illustrated just make up their own rankings each month. Yeah. Oh, that was always the best. But uh, I assume they Matt, still do it, but I have not read the, that magazine in a long time. No, you know, I just maybe I should. Matt, when one door closes, though another door opens, because the Torch also writes at this time. Austin Aries and Roderick Strong have sent out open contracts as part of a storyline involving them wanting to raise the prestige of the ROH tag titles. Now, obviously, Matt, this is them copying the uh brian danielson open contract where he sent out open contracts as a result we got so many people a bunch of people challenging danielson in a short period of time that were not regulars in ring of honor so it made sense we got you know marifuji we got chris saban steve carino the, you know who have both been in ring of honor before but weren't in at any time recent before their title challenges you know lance storm chris hero who started the czw feud it, exactly and aries and strong i looked up k-touch just to make sure like other than maybe the Dragon Gate guys coming up, like they don't have anyone that fits that bill. Like, like <laughs> I don't. They announced this, but there's like no big outside teams coming for them. So I don't know if this was like originally more of a plan or something. But it's not like we get like some big outsider team coming. We don't get the outsider. We don't get Holland Nash coming in. But I guess you and, do get uh, at the next show. You get a makeshift team. So I guess that maybe counts. Yeah, I, I guess, but it, it is not. The, the the concerted thing like with Danielson where you get like a block of guys that all kind of fit like, oh, yeah, they're getting all these guys that are not ROH regulars coming in to challenge. Um, one last news story, though. This is only tangentially related to Ring of Honor, but I find it interesting. And also, I think one thing we've been kind of documenting on through the years to the timeline is kind of like the rise of TNA and how that kind of slowly destroyed the relationship between TNA and ring of honor. Obviously the, the raw Feinstein scandal did a lot to that too, but then it kind of repaired. But I think people kind of forget that the, when the TNA ring of honor relationship got back together, it kind of just faded away and that we're in the kind of the fade right now. We're down to just a few major names. And this is why on the TNA section of the observer, uh, this, I think this will help make clear why that happened. So Dave wrote in the TNA section of the observer, they are trying to – they, being TNH, are trying to change everyone over, or at least the key people, from per-show contracts to guaranteed contracts. The top guys are now getting guaranteed money per week. The number isn't big, and I'm guessing most of the name guys are making between $1,000 and $1,500 per week, with a few top guys above that. The lower-ranked guys are still in the $300 to $500 per-show range and don't get paid when they don't appear on TV. One of the reasons you'll see a lot of four-ways on TNA TV is simply to help get some guys a pay 
payday and a little TV exposure. The guys on guarantee deals are then being booked out to local promoters, very similar to how the promotions in Mexico operate. If TNA books one of its top guys out for, say, $1,000 for a shot, then the wrestler gets a certain percentage of it and the office gets a percentage. I don't know the breakdown, but the office gets half or more. The wrestler gets his guarantee, and then every three months, the wrestlers get their house show bonuses. The wrestlers can still book outside dates on their own, but it's harder because the contract gives TNA first dibs on, on house shows. Just as an example... If Chris Saban wanted to work for Ring of Honor, it would be hard to do so because anytime TNA booked him for a show, their show would take priority. In the case of Ring of Honor, they do have Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe's dates booked through the end of the year through TNA, so there won't be any problems unless there's another snowstorm this winter, which of course is referring to Unscripted 2. Go back to that episode if you want to start about that, about how some talent got pulled from that show. But yeah, this was uh, you know another reason why you know we talked a few shows ago, Matt, about how we felt like maybe Ring of Honor wrestlers that by this point they were starting to kind of prioritize their best efforts for TNA over Ring of Honor, and not that I blame them for that, but this is another thing now where TNA was doing something they hadn't been doing before, which is giving these guys guaranteed money. So that's one thing you know the Indies cannot provide the idea of if you get hurt, you're still getting paid. You know that's no matter how successful an indie does, I don't think an indie gives guaranteed money in that sense. Um, yeah, and it's it, 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 it is interesting too. Where um, I think that would hurt them, the the TNA wrestlers, because I think at different times TNA did different things with booking guys out. They went back and forth on that. But I recall some people saying like, "Oh, they would jack up the prices of their talent when they booked out to indies." And all of a sudden, some indies would be like, "Eh, we don't want to book these guys at this price anymore." But then the TNA people would say, "Ah, oh, but they're big TV stars now," and they would say, "Ah, eh, not so much." So it'd be back <laughs> and forth. But uh. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah I mean, I guess point. you know, in in the end, like you, the guarantees is, is is better than the alternative. Yeah, it is interesting in the sense that uh, you know, Daniels and Joe are booked through the end of this year, and then you know, Joe's only in for a few months, and then of next year, and he's gone. And uh, Daniels is in for a few more, maybe a little bit longer after that, but he's gone, you know, before the end of next year too. So, um. Yeah, I, I I assume, you know, Ring of Honor was like, okay, we'll keep the two or three guys we have to keep. And then eventually it got to a point where it's like, well, it's probably, you know, TNA just wanted priority and all the stuff we talked about. But brings us to the show today. Ring of Honor Destiny took place June 3rd, 2006 at Sports World in East Windsor, Connecticut in front of a reported crowd of 500 fans. A uh, couple note, one note first. Um, in the Observer, they wrote Dave wrote Steve Steve Richard Stephen Richards was at the show, but never came out in front of the crowd for doing prep work. I was listening to that old. I often reference the Jimmy Rave episode of uh, an honorable mention where he great interview where he talked to a whole bunch about stuff. He said Stevie Richards was actually backstage at this show because at this time Stevie was working as kind of a mentor to Jimmy Rave in like real life, like teach him how to be a, a better heel. So apparently, like I guess Stevie just showed up to help him out which it's, is that, see that's it's, interesting to me like i mean stevie richards is a talented guy i don't feel like he was so much of a better heel than davy richards i mean i mean, I mean that uh, jimmy rave was at at this point um like i got yeah. confused between stevie richards and davy richards but double this was like a double richards kind of day for jimmy rave i guess um <laughs> two richards if Denise Richards was there, would have been the trifecta. For him. Joe, but, was Denise Richards there? <laughs> I don't remember her. No. Joe, was this the only show they ever had in this building? I know that they had a show in a tent 
in uh, September. <laughs> was that supposed to be inside this building? Uh, yes, that was supposed to be inside. We'll get to that in a few months. But um, yes, I guess this was technically the only show in the building. I'm trying to remember where the last show I was at in Connecticut was because I don't know if it was East Windsor or not. But well, the last is... so, so yeah, so the, yeah, so the show in Connecticut that we went to was in Woodbridge, right? Woodbridge, okay, yes, yeah, that's right. And then that was, that was definitely not in this building. All right. Um, and I don't remember. That's right, yeah, this was a soccer field basically yeah. inside. So, and I know they have a, a Connecticut show in December. I don't remember if that's in this building or a different place. So um, that's with like some Dragon Gate guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, they 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 move around a lot in New England, but at yeah. least they show up sometimes. <laughs> so I was going to ask Joe for some live thoughts, but I, I actually first I'm going to read this because uh, this gives a lot of live color. And uh, this was the I, I teased a surprise for Joe and Matt before the show. Um, Sean Radikin was the the torch um, guy on the on the Ring of Honor on the Ring of Honor beat for the torch. He wrote a lot of the Ring of Honor coverage and stuff, and he actually got to attend the show live with Joe Gagne, not side by side, but they were in the same building. I think he showed I'm up sure. with Denise Richards. <laughs> I'm sure it was a thrill for Joe to be hobnobbing with the big people, um, like Stephen Richards and Sean Radikin, you know, good guys. But uh, I assume I don't. Know, I'm backpedaling here. I, I I I I honestly don't read anything into that. I am just muttering words. Um, Trevor, it's anyway. okay. It's okay. You could you could just continue. <laughs> I, I'm going to be muttering in a second because okay. So there, Sean Radikin wrote a, an article for the Torch based on his live experience called "What You Don't See." On ROH tape releases. Now, there's just quite a bit to this. I debated reading this. I edited a bunch of it out, but there's still a lot. But there's some parts that are kind of just, you know, like very meat and potatoes. Oh, this is what an indie show is like. But there's a few moments here I think really make it worth it. So I'm going to read this. Okay, so this is, you know, his point of this article is just what 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 is it like to attend a show? You know, we, we talk about the matches. What, what's, what's the whole experience like? So this is Sean Radican. When I pulled up to the venue Ring of Honor was running last Saturday in East Windsor, Connecticut, the first thing I noticed was a sign that read, Live Pro Wrestling Event Tonight. There was no mention of ROH anywhere on the sign. Pulling into the parking lot, it was immediately evident that parking was going to be a problem. All the spots in the small lot were taken, so fans were left with the option of parking down the street or attempting to park in the grass behind the venue, which was money due to rain. Several fans chose the latter and ended up getting their cars stuck in the mud. There weren't many people outside of the venue, as the conditions were poor with a combination of the rain and having to walk through a muddy field to get into the venue. Once I was inside the venue, it was evident the fans attending this event weren't the least bit upset about the poor conditions and parking difficulties outside. The first thing I noticed when I got inside was Alice in Danger limping around in the lobby. She had just completed her match against Lacey, which was taped for RHvideos.com. One fan tells her she is great, but Danger responds by saying that she just got her ass kicked. Interactions like this between the fans and the wrestlers are something you won't see at a WWE event, but the atmosphere is relaxed and Danger seems willing to interact with the fans. In order to get into the venue, fans have to walk through a rotating doorway. I get through the doorway and notice a lot of people lined up to buy tickets. I am patted down by an ROH student and get in right away, as I had purchased my tickets in advance. There are three turf soccer fields inside the venue. ROH is running their event on the last soccer field on the left. There's an entranceway set up for the fans to walk through to get to their seats with ROH banners hanging on both sides. You almost feel as, you almost feel as if entrance music should be playing as you walk through the, into the venue. 
To the left of the ring is the production center. There are several people sitting at a table that controls the music and lighting during the show. The sound system is also in this area. There are two fog machines. One is inexplicably blowing next to the sound system, and another is situated near the entrance area. To properly light the event, RH has installed four sets of lights on the roof of the venue, which light the ring from each side. There's another subset of lights that are on the floor that flash colored lights, graphics, and lasers during ring entrances. Finally, there's a spotlight on a platform that is operated by a bored-looking young man on Ring of Honor staff. There aren't many people seated before the main show is set to begin. The main attraction prior to the start of the show is the gimmick table, which has around 100 people lined up around it, eager to buy merchandise. It isn't uncommon to see a fan walking around the venue with a plastic bag full of Ring of Honor DVDs. The newest releases from ROH are a big attraction, as fans are eager to see the shows from WrestleMania weekend. A buy-three-get-one-free sale on ROH DVDs encourage fans to dig deep into their pockets to catch up on the releases they haven't seen yet. You don't see many people purchasing just one dvd it's interesting to see the type okay so here comes the first money moment to me um it's interesting to see the types of fans roh draws to their live events the largest group of fans is the males who come together to to the show in droves without female companionship there's also a mix of very thin men with large girlfriends and vice versa young children brought to the show by their parents and grandparents or grandparents and even and even some attractive women that were dragged to the event by their boyfriends <laughs> or husbands <laughs> most, most of the fans who aren't at the gimmick table are standing around and chatting one man is drinking an energy drink next to the gimmick table and listening to music a young boy walks up to one of the lighting stands and bangs on his head on it until he grimaces in pain and walks away <laughs> The, the man who stands out the most prior to the event is an older gentleman wearing a fishing vest. He has a tube around his ne- neck that flashes different colors. I wonder, if, I wonder if he found Waldo among the sea of people. <laughs> he also has a, it keeps going. He also has a series of different colored glow sticks attached to a set of strings. <laughs> Some of the fans sit in their seats chatting. There are also some fans sitting by themselves and staring at the ring blankly. The dress code for the evening is a wrestling or heavy metal t-shirt with shorts or pants for majority of males and females attending this event. I took Joe, he's got you dead to write with that outfit. <laughs> I, I took inventory of the kinds of shirts the fans were wearing. There are several people wearing ROH t-shirts. The rest are t-shirts that are either heavy metal or WWE related. I only see one fan wearing a TNA t-shirt the entire night. I noticed ROH booker Gabe Sapolsky nervously pacing around the perimeter of the venue before disappearing to the back. Sounds about he right. Doesn't stop, <laughs> he doesn't stop to speak to anyone. ROH owner Kerry Silken looks much more relaxed than Gabe as he strolls around the venue talking to the fans. One fan gets particularly animated while talking to Silken and gestures wildly with his hands. The announcer informs the crowd the show will start five minutes late due to a late arriving crowd. When the show finally begins, the first group of people to come out to the ring include the ring announcer, two photographers, two cameramen, Kerry Silken, and a referee. Homicide Julie Smokes walk quickly backstage, having apparently just arrived to the venue as the show is set to begin. Both are carrying gym bags. Many ROH wrestlers have told me that they like to watch all of the matches during ROH events, and they often talk with each other about their match and make suggestions for where improvements can be made to each other. 
And the first wrestler I noticed watching the action from the behind the curtain is Christopher Daniels, who eventually takes a seat near the production table to take in the Davy Richards Jimmy Rave match. Later in the evening, Samoa Joe appears and watches nearly all of the matches from the production area. Delirious, Sarah Del Rey, Daisy Hayes, and Ricky Reyes also watch the action with Joe at times. Several members of the ROH staff chat with Joe as he takes in the action. None of the wrestlers coming out from the backstage area to watch the action show any emotion towards what is going on in the ring. During the course of the event, Kerry Silken and Gabe Sapolsky come out to take in a match from behind the crowd. Silken is out first as he sneaks in and takes a chair behind the last row to watch the Four Corners Survival Match featuring Colt Cabana, Jason Blade, Delirious, and Adam Pierce. With the winner getting a shot at the Ring of Honor World Title at a future event, Silken is expressionless during the match and vacates his seat once the match is over. Sapolsky comes out to watch the Christopher Daniels BJ Whitmer contest. He looks stressed and worn out as he sits down on a stack of equipment crates behind my section. The in-ring action isn't going over too well with the fans during this contest at first, but Sapolsky's expression doesn't change once during the course of the match. When the match is over, Gabe quickly makes his way to the backstage area. During intermission, Allison Danger and Sarah Del Rey make their way out to the gimmick tail to push the Shimmer DVDs. They offer to sign the Shimmer DVDs if people buy them. They quickly convince a young girl to buy one, and Danger seems really happy about getting the sale. Del Rey and Danger attract a small crowd of people who seem genuinely excited to interact with them. Silken also comes out from the back and stops to talk with some fans. The rest of the fans... fans okay, here, here comes good point number two. The rest of the fans pass the time during intermission in various ways. The man with the energy drink at the CD player returns to the spot he occupied prior to the star of the show. One fan walks around dressed like Christopher Daniels. A group of young men play Frisbee with their Ring of Honor DVDs off to the side of the venue. What? Okay. Um, the rest of the fans pass the time by standing around chatting about the event or going to the concession and stand to use the restroom and purchase food. The music signals the beginning of the second half of the event, so the fans file back to, the, to their seats. The main event features the Briscoe Brothers feed, facing Austin Aries and Roderick Strong for the t- ROH Tag Team titles. It's interesting to watch the reaction of, its, of the young boys in front of me who cheer excitedly for Aries and Strong when they come out. The mother that was taking pictures earlier in the night gets up again to snap more pictures for her demanding children. The ROH students come out and sit near the production area to take in the match. I notice the enter older gentleman who appears to be on the verge of sleep sitting next to the two young boys a couple rows away from me. When the tag team in event ends, the young boys seem to be excited about Aries and Strong retaining their titles. The older man appears to have gotten a burst of energy as he stares intently at the ring as Aries cuts his post-match promo. Um, so yeah, there's more, but I... Um, That's literature I, that, right there. Yeah, that, that is a... Uh, I cut out a lot, believe it or not, but I just... Uh, Joe, um, how about those audience demographics? Were you... Uh, were you with someone, Joe? Uh, <laughs> did you yeah, escape I, the gaze of Sean Radikin? I, I I did go with a friend. We did not play Frisbee with any DVDs that were purchased. I'm sure I was wearing a black, uh, probably a black wrestling T-shirt at the time. So kudos nailed me on that one. I just want to know the, the kid who had butted the light fixture. I wonder <laughs> if they're in like GCW right now or something. <laughs> well, so, see, that, that, that note actually reminded me of a time in Philly where I don't remember what show it was, but where kids were like running around in the armory and like playing near the light fixture. And Carrie Silken came and like yelled at them. And he was just like, get, get away from that. You know, you stop running around. You know, just like, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like this is the only opportunity I'll ever get to tell that, um, to tell that anecdote. So, uh, thank you, Sean. And also, he mentioned wrestlers um, watching the matches and not having any emotional reaction. Well, there was a time 
a few years later where I saw Homicide watching a match, but I guess I'll save his emotional reaction for several years from now. I like to picture Sean since he said Gabe's uh, expression never changed during the match, and he said that Gabe was sitting behind him, I believe. I, I like to imagine that during the BJ Whitmer-Christopher Daniels match, Sean just had his back to the match the entire time and was just watching Gabe like a hawk, like, you show me something, you son of a bitch, and just Gabe stone-faced. As I, he, uh, I, I bet he wouldn't have been the only person ever to do that if that is the case. <laughs> So we finally will get to even, the show. Even, op- even some attractive women showed up to this show. <laughs> even some attractive women, you know. I, I love the the large women with skinny men, or the uh, skinny women with large men. I get, you know, there's hope for all of us. I guess. I, I guess Sean Renekin's article at the end of the day is it is ultimately a very hopeful article. That you know, no matter what your body type, you will find love. That that's a promise by the show. If it doesn't happen for you on your deathbed, get back to me and I'll apologize. All um, right, all right, Trevor. I'm gonna hold you to it. <laughs> we open with the Ring of Honor tag team champions of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong backstage. Aries says the Briscoes are saying they won their match on the last show because they got lucky. Aries says it has nothing to do with luck. The better team won that night, the smarter team won, and tonight they're gonna prove it to them again. It's their destiny, wink wink, name of the show Titular to come the longer. Yeah, to become the longest reigning ROH tag team champions. Uh, Roddy then says, Generation Next is the most dominant force in wrestling today. Aries says, well, about that, Roddy, uh, I have to talk to you about that. And they just walk away, dun-dun-dun, story for later in the show. Was uh, um, Roddy wearing a Honky Tonk Man shirt? I couldn't quite make it out because he had his tag title over his shoulder. But it looked like it looked like someone in an Elvis suit, and you could kind of see, like, greatest ever. So I just, I just thought that would hmm. be weird. I don't know if he had his own chair at the time where he was dressed as a Honky Tonk Man. I don't know why he would do that. But <laughs> that doesn't sound I like that something he would have in 2006, piece. but I guess you never know. What if it was just yeah. an Elvis shirt? Yeah, well, it could have been. Maybe maybe it's just at uh, Graceland or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, cut to a video highlight package about Homicide's quest for the Ring of Honor title. This recaps him and prior challenges in Ring of Honor for the t- world title. We see Loki slapping Homicide around in the uh, underrated do-or-die match with uh, Samoa Joe, where uh, you know Key and Smokes got into an argument that distracted Homicide. He lost. We see him snapping when he thought he beat Joe at Ring of Honor Reborn, and then you know on a on a count that he thought was a three count and it wasn't we even get a nice voice clip of danielson from long ago where after the best of five series with homicide that he had with him danielson told homicide like you know after i win the ring of honor world title we can continue our feud which i thought actually that's like a really nice poll because like i forgot he said that but he did and so that's a great little thing to bring back and then we end with a caption on screen that says, will it happen tonight about, you know, homicide winning the title. I actually thought this was like one of the better ring of honor packages in that it was short to the point, but it actually like, rather than just a lot of random clips of a guy wrestling, it like had a point. It was it, like, it, homicide. Told, it told a really good story. Yeah. I, this is this. I thought this was quite good. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, it's playing up real history, which is homicide has had two key world title matches where you could argue that, you know, he maybe should have won, but something went against him. And then, which is going to, you know, telegraph what happened or set up, allude to, you know, whatever the word. It's not the right word, but it's going to set up what happens tonight. Foreshadow. Yes, exactly. That's the word I was thinking. Foreshadow what happens tonight. And even the Danielson thing is a great little touch. So at this point, we get a dark match. This uh, did not appear on the show. It did appear, as Sean Madigan said earlier, on rhvideos.com. Lacey defeated Allison Danger in 6 minutes 20 seconds. Uh, Joe, you probably do not have any thoughts on a match this old, but since you were there live, I'll give it a shot anyway. Do you remember anything about this? 
Uh, zilch. No, I don't know if I don't even remember if I saw it or, or not. Had I, I don't remember my, I don't remember the muddy parking lot. Sorry, or anything like that. Maybe I had oh, success. Oh, damn it! But uh, no, I, I, I have, I have no, no thoughts on this match. <laughs> okay, and that brings us to a match. I'm sure we all have thoughts on because well, I'm sure we all just rewatched it. Davy Richards defeated Jimmy Ray via pinfall in 17 minutes, 44 seconds after uh, David Richards hit the DR driver, or as Dave Prezak called it in this early Ring of Honor match for, for uh, Davy Richards, a butterfly brain buster. So this was, in fact, Davy Richards' Ring of Honor debut. We've covered before. He was originally supposed to be on the uh, 100th show. And, uh, you know, we, we've also talked about this. is something they've talked about on Honorable Mention. I've heard other people talk about it where uh, – you know, there was thought that maybe, like, not that they were committed to do this, but there was at least, they had tossed around the idea at the very least that of having Davey Richards beat Danielson for the first title on the first night at the 100th show. I think, Matt, you and I kind of figured out watching the show that Delirious probably got that spot. Uh, Richards ended up getting hurt and having to miss that show and didn't get to debut till this show. A couple of notes before we get to the match. Uh, the PW Torch wrote, Divya Richards is headed to Ring of Honor with a recommendation from Samoa Joe paving the way. When interviewed by Steve Gerwick at Gerwick.net, uh, Richards said he waited until after the Super 8 tournament before pursuing the opportunity. Quote, I was set to start with them before the Super 8, which took place April 8th, but wanted to wait until after out of respect for Jim Kettner, the promoter of Super 8. Um, before I worked Samoa Joe and PWG, he told me Gabe wanted my number because he wanted to start using me. Then I emailed him a bit later and got the ball rolling. Rolling. I'm very excited about the opportunity. Ring of Honor is a major goal I've set for myself. And then uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer, the crowd on the show really got into Richards, and by the win, the plan is for him to be somewhat, to, to be somebody here. He does a lot of UFC style as well as kicks, and the idea is for him to become a player in this promotion. Um, Matt, you know, this is a, a big debut. You know, this, this is something we're not going to get to say often. This is a, the first match in Ring of Honor for a future Ring of Honor world champion. Yeah, and, and Richards doesn't come in all like humble. Like he's very, very confident, you know. And you can see that in his promo later. But you know, very early in the match, he'll he'll he like runs out to the crowd and he gives him a high five after he gets a kick and he and he says, "Who's the fucking man, huh?" Like he's just he's real confident early in the. You know, there's a bit of a chant for him early. Like the crowd does welcome him, but at the at least the very beginning, they're a little more interested in just like taunting Nana and Rave. Um, we do get a PWG reference on commentary since um, I guess that's where Richards had store, sort of started making his national name um, recently. You didn't hear too many PWG references on ROH commentary uh, at this time. Can you recall any before this? No, and to be fair, P, for people that weren't around the day, PWG back then was still one of the more prominent indies, but was not the PWG of more recent years, but no, but it, uh, they yeah, did have Bola already, and you know, all the yeah. a lot of big stars went there, and it was considered one of the better indies, definitely. And in fact, Davy Richards would win Bola in two thousand six, in a few months from this point. Yeah, after he had just won the Super Eight, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So this was a big year for him. Yeah, and you know, obviously, this is one of the biggest things of him debuting in ROH, and you know, that you know, Rave did his stalling early, which obviously not surprising, and spits in Richards' face, but Richards does dominate pretty early in the match and then eventually you know rave avoids a running forearm and clotheslines him in the back of the head and he breaks the momentum and he slows it down stomps away stalling camel clutch you know all that stuff um and the first big high spot of the match uh rave goes up to the top rope but davy pops up and forearms him and then 
knocks him off the turnbuckle. Or, but excuse me, a, a rave knocks him off the turnbuckle, but Davy screams, pops up again, headbutts him on the top rope, and hits a superplex. That's really the first big high spot. Um, then they have a slap fight on their knees, um, and they come to their feet where uh, Jimmy grabs uh, Rave's, uh, Richards' hair, throws him back to the ground to cut off the comeback. But eventually, he does come back. Um, they, they do some near falls. Uh, Rave gets a butterfly submission. Richards backdrops out of the greetings from Ghana. They do a few roll-ups. And then Davey seamlessly transitions into a horse collar, and Rave makes the ropes. And Richards does his cool handspring kick, which in 2006 always got over. That He really was good with the timing of that spot. Um, hit the running forearm clothesline combo. He uh, Rave hit the uh, STO backbreaker and gonorrhea for a couple of two counts. Um Davey gets a good near fall of the sudden small package. They do a few more reversals until Davey hits that butterfly brain buster for the very decisive victory. So I thought, you know, Rave was pretty unselfish here. He got a newcomer over in the right way. You know, he sold the loss pretty well, as we'll see in the promo later. Um, you know, first half was just good, solid babyface heel work. The last few minutes showcased the, uh, you know, kind of Richard's more exciting move set and stuff. So, you know, they got a good amount of time, much more than a typical ROH opener. And I think they used it well. I think this was a this was a good opener, a quite good opener, I would say, and uh, you know, a good debut for a guy like Richards. You know, it wasn't like deep character stuff, but you know, he was getting over based on his wrestling. And I think that Rave was a a good person to pair him up with. Uh, Joe, what did you think? Was this your first time seeing Davy Richards live? Uh, seeing him live, yes, it was a name I had heard through PWG and the Super Eight, but no one I had seen on on tape or, or dvd at that point because at that point you know if you've heard a wrestler an indie wrestler with buzz you still had to kind of pay to see them i know youtube existed but it was still pretty early on i know right now for a wrestler getting some buzz like titus alexander if i go to youtube and enter his name i can see easily like 10 matches of his and and 10 you know some noteworthy ones as well sometimes independent companies will put up a noteworthy match to get some buzz so this is my first time really seeing him I thought it was, uh, well, he comes out to Run In With The Devil by Van Halen, which is a song that could absolutely be about the wrestling industry, but there's something about him posing as David Lee Roth as, like, howling is just hysterical to me. I just, <laughs> I, is, uh, yeah, and uh, I thought Ray was an excellent choice for this position. It's someone, he's someone with some cachet, you know, he's been around a while, he's been pushed, but he's not a tippy-top guy, and he's no... And, you know, no one wants to see him win. So I thought that was very smart to match him up if you wanted Davey to get the, the big win, which is not how Ring of Honor really pushed newcomers at this time. Uh, yeah, this went pretty long for an opener. But um, once Richards hit his big dive to the outside, I thought that the match really picked up. And, and Davey, he wrestled and resembled someone who fused Austin Aries and Roderick Strong together. So it was just kind of <laughs> just kind of funny. And uh uh, no, it was, it was it was a good solid match. I thought, uh, like Matt said, uh, Jimmy was very unselfish, and uh, they put him over big. And this is, you know, it's kind of a, a fairly big moment in Ring of Honor history because Richards will be around forever and uh, do a lot with the company. And this was his his very first very first match. And I know MSL called that handspring kick the five forty kick, and I can't get the math to work out in my head. Just trying to figure <laughs> out how much he rotated. I'm like, no, that's like. 450 right but maybe i don't know so it's a little uh geometry in there as well you brought up a couple interesting points joe like one thing i really 
you just remind me, so I was doing research. Again, I was listening to the Honorable Mention episode. They did a whole episode <clears throat> covering Destiny, and I re-listened to the Jimmy Ray thing, like I mentioned earlier. And one thing I think uh, Shane Hagedorn mentioned on covering Destiny, which I thought I had mentioned since this is David Richards' debut, <clears throat> obviously uh, Gabe Sapolsky was really high on Richards. And I think he said something like he was describing Richards as basically like, you know, Austin Aries combined with low key, but without the headaches of either of them. And I thought that was pretty funny given like what Davey Richards reputation would become as being kind of a headache to work with. And uh, so, you know, but the hopes was you can kind of stylistically see that. And I felt like this was the first of three match of three straight matches to open the show um, that were all things you didn't see too often from ring of honor. And this first one being, Ring of Honor, occasionally you would get a debut like this, but very rarely, where usually with Ring of Honor, we would see debuts in this era of like, you know, the worst slot, slot in the car, which would be like the second match on the show or the first match back under intermission. Might be a guy, you'd throw a guy in like a scramble, or if it was a singles match, you'd give him like a five minute match, maybe against another rookie or, or stuff like that. And you would basically give a guy, you know, not much chance to show himself. You're just kind of barely dipping your toe in the water of that wrestler to see, uh, Show me a little bit. And or, here, or, or you'd put them in like a straight up main event, like Chris Hero. Yeah. Or, you know, even low key uh, Samoa Joe, where Samoa Joe gets just a long all out war to start with. But this was a match where uh, I guess Jimmy Ravis said in the past that, you know, he had never gotten this instruction from Gabe working the undercard before, but Gabe told him before this match, I want you to treat this match like a main event. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of match that, debuting guys rarely get which is they get plenty of time they get the opener which is one of the best spots on the show and like uh, joe like you point out you know he's getting to face a really good opponent jimmy rave in the sense of he's like a very over heel he's like a mid to upper mid card guy he's getting to win you know he's not losing he's winning his debut cleanly strongly and uh yeah i thought it was a good match i thought it was like a strong three and a half star match i, I feel like the match is smart it's it's the kind of match I think that plays way better as an opener and then like elsewhere on the show when having to follow stuff. And I, I think it plays better as a debut. The first half, two thirds of this match are kind of what you expect from a lot of Jimmy Ray matches where it's very minimalist in terms of the action from his end, very basic kind of slow to mid tempo. But I thought they were really good about like letting Richards hit one of his signature moves every few a minute or two, like to keep the fans engaged. And eventually Rave gets the, the advantage completely. And he goes like super basic. I'm talking like there's at one point in this match where he goes for a cover after doing a stomps. Like that's about as basic as you can get in 2006 indie wrestling. Um, and then Richards makes his comeback, the final five plus miss, they ramp up the action. And I, even Rave at this point brought, out some of his coolest stuff he doesn't bring out in every match at this point like i love his sto into a backbreaker that kind of stuff i thought looked really cool and um the, yeah i i i just think it was a good match in the sense of a lot of these first timer matches we see guys they're just it's like five minutes and they're just struggling to fit like every spot they can because they're desperate they're, they feel like very needy because the guys don't have much of a shot and this match you know it gets to have a very natural pace. You don't feel like they're trying to cram everything in there and like that Richards is desperate to impress you. And the other thing I noticed is like you said, Matt, is Richards is very confident for a debut, like shockingly so. Like again, different than most people debuting in Ring of Honor. Um, you know, people tried to lump Richards into that vanilla midget stereotype because he was kind of a jack short white guy 
big work rate machine, but Richards always had more charisma than a lot of those guys. And in this match, like you were saying, like he's, he's making like little asides to the crowd during the match. Like he's so comfortable. Like he's basically having conversations while he's having the match. He's like emoting. Well, he gets mad at Raven, the appropriate moments. He's like, you know, making points during the match, like connect with the crowd and acknowledge them and look to the crowd to get them to cheer more like a veteran. At one point, some fan makes a comment. I can't hear. And rave responds, but like the fans are, I didn't hear what rave, I mean, Richard said back to him, but like the fans are laughing. Like he's just joking around with the fans as he's having this pretty good match. And um, at one point he even complains about how hot the building is. Like he's, he's really having one of these performances where it's like, he's, he could be like doing a math test while he's wrestling the match. Like he's just, he just seems to be supremely confident and comfortable in his debut. And um, yeah, I noticed that. And yeah, good, good match. Okay. One last question though. Um, Matt, I was going to ask you is, and I guess Joe too, like, do you think it's that he should have changed his finisher? Because the DR driver, for those who haven't seen it, is essentially the J-driller, except instead of the guy landing between your legs, he's landing, like, to the side of your legs. But it's, like, almost the J-driller. I remember when I was watching Ray at the time, I always thought that was a little bit weird. Like, that's a really close finisher, you know? Honestly, it didn't occur to me. Like, I feel like so many moves, like, have similar endings. Like, there's, like, drivers or there's suplexes. I think it, for at least for me, it looked different enough, even though the difference is slight, that it didn't affect me personally. But you make a good point. It's something I didn't think of. Oh, and the other note is, another thing Jimmy Rave says, he said Jimmy, Jimmy Rave said David Richards is actually very, like, a, he found him hard to work with because he, uh, he says, like, for this match, he said that Richards was like, all right, these are all the spots I do, and you can counter this one and then counter this one and this one. And Rafe was just like, this is your first match. Like, just hit your signature stuff. I don't need to counter your signature stuff. Like, a lot of people here probably have not seen your signature stuff. Like, why not? you? Yes, yeah, so they, so like, they don't know I'm countering it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so he said he had to kind of talk Richards into it. And then he said – um, when uh, Richards ended up wrestling uh, AJ Styles a few shows later, Richards did not take it as advice there and did all that countering stuff. And Richards says that's one of the reasons he thinks that match was not well rece- received and could seem as by some people as a letdown. So it'll be interesting to evaluate that. And another thing he mentioned, which will be interesting in the coming shows, is there's a match coming up where um, he, uh, uh, Colt Cabana and David Richards, Richard wrestle uh, Jimmy Raven Salvernaro and they, and Jimmy says before the match, Colt Cabana almost got into a fight with Davy Richards because Sal, I mean, because Rave and Colt were trying to put together a match and Davy again kept feeling like you could counter it. Let's just do this, blah, blah, blah. And I guess Colt got like pissed off to the point of almost fighting Davy Richards. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any tension when we get to that match, but a lot of weird stuff going on. But so Davy came in as a, Davy came in as a force in the ring and in the locker room. <laughs> Exactly. You know, Davy Richards is very much Davy Richards. Um, next up, we had the Ring of Honor top of the class trophy match. Shane Hagedorn defeated Derek Dempsey, who was the champion, to become the new champion. He beat him via submission in six minutes, 15 seconds when he made him tap out to a bulldog choke. Uh, the Observer live report said the crowd wasn't into the match. That's all <laughs> it gives for this match. Um, this would be, I think, one of Derek Dempsey's, if not his last match. I think it might have been his last match. Like, it's interesting that, uh, Two of the first top of the class Ring of Honor trophy students, like Davy Andrews and Derek Dempsey, they both lose their trophy and they basically are out of wrestling right after that. Shane Hagedorn, 
would be the first guy to hold it that would not be. He'd hold this for almost a year. He'd become, I mean, at this point, a lifer in wrestling. He's still working for AEW to this day. He's working on that Ring of Honor book. I mean, so he stuck around. He had a long career in doing things in wrestling that continues on. But uh, Joe, I mean, I'm going to give you another first talk after this match, too, on the next match because, you know, this is a six-minute student match. But do you have any thoughts on a six-minute student match? Not much. It was a you know it was a short, inoffensive match. People just weren't super into the students at this time. Shane did a nice step up kick to the head that would have been a pretty good finisher. But there was this weird spot where Shane did this like super slow clothesline. I'm not sure if Dempsey was supposed to duck or Shane thought he would, but the camera cut it. But you could tell to try to save it, but you could tell the crowd just kind of groaned and and Shane won and I guess fulfilled his destiny. So the uh, the show name has uh, paid off. <laughs> yeah, th- th- yeah, that is always one of the weirder things where the camera cuts so awkwardly that you can tell something went wrong, but you don't see what went wrong. I don't know if that's better or worse because you still get the result of I know something went wrong, but then you're kind of left curious. Like I kind of was like, well, I kind of want to see what it looks like now, but yeah, you don't get to see it. Uh, Matt, what do you think? I mean, it w- other than that, that spot you mentioned, like I thought it was mostly fundamentally solid. I um. I you know that you know they did some neck work which they um so like like Cagadorn's neck hold the announcers called the Zeus head vi- head vice because they say that Zeus was the innovator of it and I'm assuming they're talking about the uh, tiny Lister and not yeah. uh, God Zeus and I, <laughs> because I feel like he has better things to do than create like a, a headlock um he's like he created a lot of options yeah he's the Almighty. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, technically, you probably create everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess now I know Zeus your belief. invented the 450. Now I know your belief system. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I thought that was a good reference, because how often did you hear Zeus references in any era? Never mind 2006. But, um, you know, like, the only real criticisms I could have, because, again, this was, you know, they, they, they kept it mostly basic, and they, I think they were fund. I mean, the ROA students were fundamentally sound. You know, they, they ended with the, you know, I think they intentionally did some basic stuff, like Hagedorn's finish was basically this cranked back rear chin lock. There was a spot where, um, Dempsey hits a, like, a big Saito suplex dropping Hagedorn on the back of his head, and they don't really sell that. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, it was, I think it accomplished what they wanted to, and they did a solid job for what they were trying to do. Um, you know, I, I think they, I think these matches in general hold up a little bit better than I would expect. Um, that's, I, 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 I think that's kind of a takeaway that I've had from the student matches that we've seen so far. So I thought this was our second of three straight rarities for Ring of Honor in that it's a student match that like... Actually, on the main card, we don't see many of them lately. And on top of that, it gets six minutes, which is, you know, five student standards, a fair bit for Ring of Honor at this point. And no one, like, no existing roster member comes in and squashes them at some point. So, you know, that that's all different. And, yeah, the crowd wasn't super hot for this. As far as a match, I would say there was nothing really wrong with it. There was nothing really right with it. It was, you know, it's a student match, like you, like Matt was saying. Um Hagedorn does his usual his usual healing. He does draw a "Your Tattoo Sucks" chant from the crowd. Um, I, I, one thing I, I I kind of enjoyed watching Hagedorn is it's kind of surreal to think like Ring of Honor's reputation for this time was like you know 
it's the most cutting edge, you know, wrestling and, and all, and people that derive it were like all these crazy spot monkeys. And then if you look at like the students that they were pumping out, very fundamentally more throwback and based a lot of them. Like if you look at Hagedorn's offense here, he's doing like running hip attacks and closed fist punches and a neck vice. Like I wonder if that's a vir- I wonder if that's a virtue of like him being trained by CM Punk, who yeah, definitely loved the old school. Definitely, but you know it's funny how you know some people get this impression about Ring of Honor, and then you'd watch stuff like that and go, well, their students are not working the way people stereotypes of Ring of Honor would be. Um. Another thing I did not notice, I should go back and watch this because I only heard, heard this doing my research, but Shane Hagedorn has said that at the end of the match where he's choking out Derek Dempsey, that uh, Derek Dempsey was adjusting Hagedorn's um, arms around his neck as he was choking him to like sell it better or something, and that he accidentally adjusted Shane's arms in turning it into a real choke and that Derek Dempsey actually legit passes out in this match at the end. Like, he wakes up quickly, he's fine, Oof. but apparently, so, for those who are w- going to watch the show, watch and see if you can tell if Derek Dempsey legit passes out in a choke. This was a shoot, folks. Um, so, after the match, some of the other Ring of Honor students offer to shake Hagedorn's hand, but instead he rudely shoves his way through them to pose on the ropes and just yell forever at the crowd. And he will not hold this forever, but he's going to hold this for, like, a good, I think, like, ten months or something, so... You know, he's going to be here for a while as the top of the class champ. Finally, our third straight rarity in Ring of Honor, we get a women's match that actually gets a long amount of time and um, the announcers aren't sexist towards, although we may not have escaped sexism, as I'll get to in a second. Sarah Del Rey defeated Daisy Hayes via pinfall in 11 minutes, 29 seconds after after she hit a butterfly slam. This was Sarah Del Rey's main card Ring of Honor debut. I believe she did a pre-show match on earlier show. The Observer wrote, Sarah Del Rey beat Daisy Hayes in a match we're told the crowd hurt, as it was fine, but crowd got into it. Sean Rannikin from his live report wrote, This was a good women's match, but much of the crowd wouldn't give them a chance, as they chanted derogatory comments at Del Rey for most of the match. Some of the crowd got into the match toward the end, which saw Del Rey pin Hayes after a butterfly suplex. Uh, Joe, I'm, I'm not, your memory, you know, I'm not going to say you remember stuff, but I know watching this back, it didn't feel like, I, if, if I hurt, if there was derogatory comments, I couldn't hear them. I mean, the crowd wasn't super into this, but I I was really disappointed to read. I don't. I, I'm not saying I I I'm sure Sean Radkin's not lying, but I was really disappointed to read that because before that, when I was just watching this match, I was like, oh, crowd's kind of treating this like a normal match, and the announcers are, and then to hear that fans were apparently saying bad shit is disappointing. Yeah, I don't I don't quite remember that. I had the same reaction to you walking it watching it back. I thought, oh, this crowd's polite enough. I thought it seemed fine. As far as the match, I thought they had a clear story to tell because Del Rey certainly had the power advantage and uh, Daisy Hayes was, I guess, part of the embassy at this time. So I thought, oh, well, she yeah. can cheat to even things up. But she really didn't. She just did like an eye poke at one point. And they just kind of I think they kind of saw this as a chance to have, you know, a, a all action kind of match to kind of showcase what they could do, which they did. And I thought it was pretty good overall. You know, they went back and forth for a while. I think Sarah forgot to kick out of a pin at one point because there yeah. was a kick out that <laughs> clearly her shoulder was still on the mat, which was too bad. But, um, you know, overall for time, like, uh, you know, good, good, solid stuff. I thought this was a decent above average match. Um, it was a little disappointing because I think these are both pretty good, two of the better U.S. women's wrestlers at this time. And, in fact, we are told on commentary that these two had one of the better matches in early shimmer history up to this point. And so that's probably one of the reasons why they got booked in this combination here. And 
the thing I thought that was weird about this match is, as you point out, Joe, uh, Hayes is a heel at this point. So Prince Nana does not join her for this match, interestingly enough, even though he came out with a uh, Jimmy Ray for the opener. But, um, Rave does heal. I mean, no, Daisy Hayes does heal a bit. Like she spits in her hand before the start of the match to do the handshake and she complains to the ref and she does the one eye poke. But it was weird because they work this match where Del Rey is being a real bully to Daisy Hayes. And I'm not saying that the smaller person can't be a heel in a wrestling match. There's a ways to work that. But I felt in this match, they were working in such a way where I felt like a lot of natural sympathy for Hayes. Cause a lot of the offense for Del Rey in my favorite parts of the match are her just kind of bullying Hayes and like shoving her around, like not even like in really elegant ways, like just throwing her around a bit. And it kind of made me like, it kind of felt like the natural story they were telling the match went in the opposite of what their heel face dynamic was. And maybe it was just, and a weird adjustment because I think they said that I think Daisy Hayes was not a heel at this point in Shimmer. So, yeah, that's part of the match. I thought it was decent action. I think these two are capable of, of better. There was that, you know, that moment, Joe, you mentioned where uh, Del Rey seemed like she really forgot to uh, lift her arm, but Todd Sinclair shoulder, but Todd Sinclair, the ref, counts two only two anyway. That drew some booze and a mild dueling, you fucked up, but that's okay chance. Um, and then later on, but I thought that was weird. That, again, added to the weirdness, because later on in the match, Daisy Hayes is like trash talking to Reverend being like, you're friends with Sarah Del Rey, you're helping her out. And I was like, well, unfortunately, like, again, it's kind of like in this match, you almost feel like, oh, maybe she's right, because <laughs> like he, she should have beaten her. But um, if you ignored the weird story, I thought there was some decent fun to be had. And I think like the opener, I, one thing I appreciate is, again, for women's matches, like a lot of times it's short time and they're trying to jam every move in into five minutes or something to impress people. This match, they got a decent length of time and they took their time. Like they didn't feel like they were running around with their chick- like chickens with their heads cut off. There was like a semi-botched Daisy Hayes Yakuza kick. But above average, and I just appreciate that the crowd, that, that the, the announcers at least treated this match with respect, which is, Matt, how many Matt Ring of Honor women's matches have we seen so far in history that got 10 minutes or more and the announcers treated it with complete respect? Like, this might be one of the first. Well, I think that from now on, the announcers are going to treat it with respect because Dave Pragzak is going to be on commentary. So I don't think we quite have to worry about that at all anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. Um, I mean, you know, like, I agree with you. This was a decent match, but. That said, it had to be the best singles women match in ROH history so far, right? Like, yeah, I mean, probably, I know, I know, yeah. like, so, you know, there were some four ways and stuff recently that were good, but like, this had to be the best singles one, right? Yeah, I would put that four ways a better match, but in terms of singles, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, definitely like the most sound and most complete match. Like, this is a match that actually feels like a meal, like. You know, yeah. even I feel like we were praising women's matches before Ring of Honor. It might have been like, oh, that was four minutes and there was a couple of neat spots and they didn't screw much up, like didn't screw anything up where, you know, they didn't have time to have a good match even. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think Del Rey was by and large considered the best of this crew of women at the time. And um, so, you know, I, I think she did well, but I was pretty impressed with Hayes. I do think she, you know, she she didn't cheat a lot, but she did, she did act like a heel. Like, you know, when, whenever she would like early in the match, when she would ground Del Rey with a headlock, she would do like an evil laugh at the crowd. And there was that spot you mentioned where she had Sarah in the mood lock and she was yelling at Sinclair being like, cheater and, and, and things like that. So you're on Del Rey's side. Like, the, you know, so I appreciated that. I was actually more impressed with Hayes than I expected to be. 
Um, she held her own and then some, so I thought it was, you know, yeah, decent, pretty good, even maybe even at a certain point got to pretty good. Um, certainly not particularly memorable, but I think I'd say a fairly important moment in the sense of it's Sarah Del Rey's ROH DVD debut. And she becomes one of the most important figures in, I'd say American wrestling in the past 20 plus years. Right. So I, um, just because of what she did with uh, the WWE Women's Division, so I, I, it's 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 a fairly important moment in that sense. But yeah, I, I thought this was 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 pretty decent. After the match, we get a handshake, and Brian Danielson, in plain clothes, makes his way to the ring as Daisy Hayes leaves. Brian, who's now alone in the ring with uh, Sarah Del Rey, grabs the mic. We get a dragon chant, but then we get a louder homicide chant. Danielson does his <clears throat> throat-clearing gimmick and says, he doesn't know if you people from Connecticut realize this. And then as he's saying that, we, he gets immediately interrupted by a shut-the-fuck-up chant and a brief we-want-Sarah chant. Someone in the crowd must be saying that Sarah is bigger than Danielson because Danielson replies, Sarah is not bigger than me. Um, Brian it says, would be weird, it'd be weird if he said that and they weren't saying that, though. Yeah. Like, if he, like, if he just I mean, randomly, so randomly threw that one out. <laughs> he just wants to prompt that now. Um, Brian says that what you just saw in the ring is much better than any women's wrestling that you've seen on TV in a long, long time. Um, Brian praises Del Rey's performance tonight and on Shimmer shows and, and her performance on Shimmer shows, saying she's proven herself to be the best women's wrestler in the world. And of course, he trained her, the best wrestler in the world. Um, Brian tells Sarah that she did a wonderful job and then invites her to go to the back as he still has some more business to take care of. She obliges. She leaves. Uh, Danielson then continues that Connecticut wrestling fans are not known as the smartest wrestling fans in the world, but ROH decided to return here, and Brian thought it was a horrible idea. He's lobbying to never come back here again. Brian says, though, that for some reason, the powers that be, so apparently Vince Russo is now and running for Ring of Honor. Lara, don't forget about him. <laughs> have named this show ROH Destiny because they feel like it's Homicide's destiny to beat Danielson tonight. Brian says the only destiny for Homicide is just like their best of five series with Brian beating him via roll-up, via pin, via submission, or if he has to, via knockout. Brian tells the fans to enjoy the show because if it's up to him, they'll never be back again. As Brian goes to the back, he uh, he. <laughs> He, like, shows his bicep to one fan. He's such a goofball. And then one fan was, like, telling me he sucks. And Brian, with the incredible comeback, I suck? Your mother sucks. So, Brian yeah, Danielson. Yeah. Check out these biceps. I <laughs> I feel like this promo was only on the show just to make sure that Danielson was booed during the main event. Like, I yeah, feel yeah. like otherwise. So, in some sense, they didn't necessarily even need to include it on the DVD. But that I feel like the post-promo stuff with the crowd made it worthwhile. Well, he yeah. said, uh, well, he's going to beat Homicide by roll-up, pin, submission, or knockout. And, like, a roll-up and a pin are kind of the same thing. So I don't know if <laughs> someone gets a roll-up, the match automatically ends, which would be a funny stipulation. Ooh, new one for Tony Khan to play with. <laughs> First one to roll the guy up. Match. A new rule for the pure title division. Um, ROH World Title Number 1 Contendership Four Corner Survival Match. That's a mouthful. Hulk Cabana defeated Adam Pierce. Delirious and Jason Blade in 13 minutes, 39 seconds, when he made Blade tap out to a, well, I guess would be a, uh, a stretch muffler variation. I know I'm listening, again, I've been referencing them a lot. They had a good episode on this, ep- on this show, uh, the honorable mention podcast. I think, uh, Shane on that episode theorized that maybe that was supposed to be a pin that didn't work out. And so Colt just said, fuck it. We'll do it as a submission instead. 
Um, I feel like you know, you know that the show you're watching is a B show when they bring back Jason Blade and put him in the number one contenders match. <laughs> no offense to him. He just didn't have any status in ROH at the time, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big things about this match, right? Which is, it, it, it's one of those other really bizarre... They're just booking this to have some uh, a re like to have like stakes for a match and to get Cole Cabana in line for a rematch title shot at the next Chicago show. But when you really look at it, Cole Cabana lost to the champion in less in five minutes recently, and he's supposed to be doing a gimmick where he's starting from the bottom, and it hasn't been that long. Adam Pierce is the commission has been losing a fair bit in the CZW feud, and he's the interim commissioner of Ring of Honor, so you would think he shouldn't be having a match like this right now. That's kind of like a conflict of interest. Delirious just lost two matches to Brian Danielson, the champ, and Jason Blade is a low card that hasn't been on the show recently. So the idea that they're the four on the show fighting for the number one contendership, yeah, is Pretty ridiculous. Damn, they should have um, kept that top five so they wouldn't have problems like this. <laughs> uh, Sean Radkin in his live report wrote about the finish. or He wrote, Kolkabana came out to the loudest reaction of the night at that point. The finish felt uh, fell a bit flat with the crowd. Cabana submitted Jason Blade, despite the fact that Pierce and Delirious appeared to be right in position to make the save. Blade even kept tapping after the bell had rung, which was likely because not one fan reacted to the finish. Cabana's music played, and he waved to the crowd as the crowd chanted bullshit. Um, I thought this match was a strong above average for me. It's it's a fair bit of comedy, mostly by the way of just banter, which again, it doesn't really suit a number one contenders match. You'd think they should be taking it more seriously, but just in terms of entertainment value, it was lighthearted fun. Pierce and Colt are having a good time, whether it's Pierce thinking Delirious is speaking either German or Greek, or at one point Colt like jokes that Delirious just lost one of his pubes when like one of the tassels comes off his mask, and Pierce thinks he's talking about Colt. I mean, Pierce, Pierce thinks he's Colt's talking about him, so he like checks his, his trunks to see if he's lost any pubes. Um, the, most of the story of the match is just Pierce and Colt, the good Chicago boys, initially getting along. Then over the course of the match, they they don't get along, and Delirious and Blake kind of end up feeling like background players. Decent amount of action. We get a couple dives to the floor from Colton Delirious. Um, again, should this be a match that decides a number one contender via how both via how they worked it and who's involved? No, but it was entertaining enough. Um, Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I guess entertaining enough. I think one of the lowlights of the show overall, though, um, just because it felt so slight, you know. Um, but you know, there are funny moments like you mentioned where um, Delirious was like rambling at Pierce, and Pierce yells that he doesn't speak German, then doesn't speak Greek. Um, and I say, you know what? Get this guy some Duolingo. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but um, you know, there is um, there is um, some you know some other funny parts like Cabana hitting an acai moonsault on all three guys, but the ref won't count Cabana's cover because he's not legal, and so Cabana just responds. I hit that moonsault, though. I thought that was a funny <laughs> moment. Um, you know, Blade doesn't really get to show much. It feels like he's in the match to job, basically, um, which I guess makes some sense. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, the highlights of the match were mostly the little comedy spots and the wrestling was just whatever, you know? And I think the match was mostly just like a, a house show match that didn't feel important, but I guess, I guess it was. <laughs> Uh, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick up for Jason Blade a bit. They at least acknowledge, like, well, he's a local guy, so we figured we'd give him a shot in this number one contenders match. Yeah, and, and, I'm not, and I don't want to act like I like have anything against Jason Blade. It's just more like the way he's portrayed versus the position he's being put in doesn't seem congruent to me. But it's not about him, like, as a performer. 
Yeah, I thought this was pretty good. A nice change of pace overall. Some good banter. Jason has a hammer lock on Colt, and Colt's like, yeah, you're really going to win with that, Jason. <laughs> Which I thought was uh, funny, as he did not. And uh, there was a sequence Colt tossed everyone on the floor, and everyone took some nasty bumps, especially for a match of this uh, of this stature. And then Colt like nearly smashed his face on the apron doing the uh, acai moonsault. And the, the crowd was definitely into it. I know Jason took a pretty ridiculous bump whenever they did the stacked-up superplex spot. He pretty much rolled to his feet and then jumped straight in the air and landed on his back. But... Uh, as far as four ways go, it was fine and a nice change of pace in the card. Yeah, I was shocked. Like you talk about the big bounce some guys took over the top rope. I was shocked that, you know, Adam Pierce, he took a pretty big bump getting hip tossed by Colt over the top rope to the floor. Like he didn't really catch the, 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 the ring apron on the way down. I thought, wow, for a guy that big, that's a, that's a pretty big bump to take for a kind of a random four way, but he, he went there. Um, uh, we join Lacey backstage where she is not impressed by Sarah Del Rey and Daisy Hayes tonight. She's offended that Brian Danielson called Sarah the best women's wrestler in the world. Lacey says she's the best women's wrestler in the universe. Finally, she says she hasn't forgotten about Jimmy Jacobs. And when he comes back to Ring of Honor, he better get her some titles and some wins. So that brings us to Christopher Daniels scored to the ring by Allison Danger, defeating BJ Whitmer via pinfall in 16 minutes, four seconds after he hit the best moonsault ever. So this was supposed to be, you know, the uh, the blow, blow off to a feud you could argue has been years in the making because the feud was all centered around Daniels left Ring of Honor during the uh, big TNA, you know, removing all, all their guys from Ring of Honor in 2004. And then he came back. And then in like months and months ago, they started to do a thing where BJ started to say, like, you know, I res- I felt like Daniels abandoned us and resented him, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Allison Danger had her all feud with Whitmer. So you think, okay, this is finally going to be the blow-off. They had, a, they had one match that quickly became like a no contest a while ago. Um, but before the match starts, Wimmer grabs the mic, and we get a fuck him up Daniels, fuck him up chant, and Allison Danger chants, but no Whitmer chants. And I just wrote in my notes, poor Whitmer. Uh, BJ they had, says, they hadn't no- seen the recent shows with him maybe in NCZW. Maybe that's why he was less over here than usual. Yeah. BJ says it's no secret that he's been in a war for a few months and he's learned the true meaning of the word hate as he hates those jack-offs from CZW. BJ says he's learned during this war that he never truly hated Daniels or Allison. The crowd at this point goes, aww, which is – I love – you don't hear crowds go aww at wrestling shows very often, so I, I enjoyed that. Um BJ apologizes to Allison for ever laying his hands on her. Whitmer says he's ready to give the crowd what they paid to see. A hard-nosed athletic wrestling match, and he asks Daniels if he's ready to see who's the better wrestler. BJ and Chris shake hands. The match is on. Uh, a lot of people blame th- this little promo on, like, the tepid reaction this match got. And the Observer wrote, crowd wasn't in- that into this match, although they did nothing wrong. Uh, Sean Radican in his live report wrote, the crowd was expecting a grudge match based on the booking of this feud leading up to the match, but Wimmer inexplicably offered an apology to Daniels and Danger for his actions against them in the past and stated he wanted to have an athletic contest to see who the better man, who was the better man. There was no heat for the match early on as the crowd appeared to be disappointed with Whitmer's announcement. Now, I can't get into the crowd's head. I will say this is the second time that we've seen recently on a Ring of Honor show, a match you would expect to be like, a heated like grudge brawl and then someone before the match comes up with a reason for it just to be kind of a more emotionless wrestling match because we saw that claudio versus samoa joe match recently where claudio basically is like i know we're booked tonight but i won't wrestle you i'll run away unless you promise to have a straight wrestling match and not like be mean to me and, and you know in one hand i kind of appreciate like 
that Ring of Honor sometimes zigs instead of zags. But on the other hand, it's like it goes against everything in wrestling to set up a match, like have this build heat, and then right before the match, go, ah, forget all that, all that, you know. (laughs) Forget about any – if you cared about this match, it's kind of like a feud. And actually, forget about that. What do you think about this match? I wonder – I mean, the thing that both of these matches have in common is they both have, like, TNA stars. And I wonder if it's just like TNA being like, yeah, don't have like big bump heavy brawls. And so you can't do it. Like, I, 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 I do wonder that because that's the commonality. I'm not sure which was more egregious, this or that, but I do believe that that promo greatly undercut the heat for this match. Um, I guess you can't prove it. You know, you don't know what the, the, uh, the crowd would have been like otherwise, but. I don't think this was a bad crowd on this night, and they were pretty darn quiet for this match, including having an awkward silence chant very early, um, you know, and, like, Danger had to, like, really pound the mat hard to get the crowd to make some noise, which they would do occasionally, you know, they, they did a lot of stuff early where it's, like, you know, test the strength, trading hammer locks, waist locks, point being, hey, they're wrestling here, um, and, um, you know, um, Jared David tries to add some intrigue, which I appreciated. He goes, you know, that even though Whitmer says he wants a wrestling match, Daniels has to wonder how sincere he is. To which I say, nice try, man. Um, because <laughs> th- there was even a moment, like, where it's like, like to try to get, like, add, add some, um, excitement to the match. Um, Whitmer heads to the outside and I guess a fan something, a fan says something to him because he goes, I'm tired of getting hip tossed, damn it. So, that's when you know the match is really intense, when the guy's like, I'm tired of getting hip-tossed. Um, I also wonder how many times in the history of Earth anyone has ever said that sentence. I'm tired of getting hip-tossed, damn it. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, they, they, they just do wrestling, you know? Whitmer does, does – they do like a – sort of like a neck versus neck thing. Um, there was one uncomfortable moment on both sides where someone in the crowd yells, shut up, B-word, at danger – and she yells back, shut up, F-slur, in response. So, you know, yeah, I caught that. everyone in Connecticut's really classy. Um, Joe, I don't blame you. I know you're from Massachusetts. So, um, but yeah, not not the best showing for uh, Connecticut in this match. Um, you know, but they end up, you know, going back and forth. They get a little bit more hard hitting. You know, Daniels hits a body press off the top. Whitmer turns a Yurinagi into an arm drag, hits a spine buster, hits a big lariat while screaming, Daniels! For two, which I thought was fairly funny. Um, um, you know, they, Daniels eventually he goes for a superplex. Whitmer blocks it, goes for a top row power bomb. I guess to allude to the Jacob spot, but you know, from a Dragon Gate uh, challenge. But Daniels drops out, so Whitmer flips over him, goes for a power bomb from the mat. But Daniel runs him over, so they they are trying to do some more um, exciting stuff near the end. Whitmer blocks an Angel's wings. Daniels kicks him in the stomach. And hits it, and Whitmer kicks out, which is like the first pop of the whole match. So, but Daniels just immediately hits the BME and gets the win. Um, so yeah, I thought like down the stretch it was solid. I didn't think there was anything really wrong, but I thought it was boring. Like probably the most boring match of the night. And I do blame the pre-match promo. I think that if they had cut that promo at the end of the match, along with all the other stuff they did, it would have been fine. But I think that they. Made a bad move here, uh, at least as far as the match itself was concerned. I think the pre-show pro, um, pre-match promo wasn't well, did not help at all either. But I still, I also think this match just 
it was it, these BJ Whitmer and Christopher Daniels are both guys who I think are two of like real season pro safe hands. Like they're always going to give you something competent, but like sometimes they, they can be capable, especially Daniels of something that are really good or even great, but they can also be kind of boring even when they're like, like to me, especially Daniels, he's kind of the indie version to me of Randy Orton or like, um, you know, guys, guys like that, or ten guy. You know, like uh, guys that the you, you hear their peers always talk about how, like, you know, man, this guy. People don't realize how good a worker they are. Like, they're so easy to work with. They're just so professional. Like, like they make it easy. It's it's a it's a night off, and I work them, and and you can tell that watching them. But sometimes those kind of skills don't translate to actual like really good Inter- matches. Ent- ent- entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that that's a sometimes sometimes wrestlers get lost in the weeds where like, I I, I guarantee you, if I had to, if someone said Trevor, you have to wrestle with someone on this roster. Go to 2006. Go to this show. You have to, as a, someone who knows nothing about how to work a match, have to wrestle someone on this roster. Like, who are you gonna pick? My pick would either be Christopher Daniels or Brian Danielson. Like, because I, I think Christopher Daniels is that much of a pro that and, anyone and, and, could and like. Daniels is that much of a pro that even after you said all that, he would still take care of you in the ring. It, it, exactly. You know, I, I think, you know, he's that much of a pro's pro. But, like, if you're asking me, like, Trevor, you know, all right, who do you want to see on this card wrestle Brian Danielson tonight as a random aside? There's a bunch of people I pick before Daniels. And he's just that kind of guy. And I think the best way I can describe this match is. Sometimes when the match is boring me, I'll find myself like checking the time stamped on my video file and being like, Oh God, how much time is this left in this match? And then I'll, and then I'll be like, Oh God, that much only this gone. So here's the weird thing about this match. I think it kind of sums up how Daniels and some, and Whitmer sometimes are, which is I, I was checking the time during this match, but every time I checked the time, I was surprised about how much of the match had happened. So it was like combination boring yet not boring, which to me is like kind of how Daniels and Whitmer are sometimes where it was, where it was like, Oh, like I'm gonna check the touch. I was like, oh wait, seven minutes is gone already. Like that didn't feel like seven minutes. So I don't know. It was kind of above average. Like, like I kind of get like the feeling you did, Matt, where you were not like your your review wasn't that negative on the match. But then you also at the end said it was boring, and I felt the same way. Which is like, you know, it's not a bad match, but I is it kind of boring? Yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, maybe ab- above average in terms of like work, but not above average in terms of like entertainment. I would say. Yeah, it's just one of those matches that Christopher Daniels can have sometimes. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm wondering if wrestlers apologizing for man on woman violence is going to be the new streak you can keep track of on uh, <laughs> on through the years. So we're at one right now. We'll see if that continues. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say we're going to probably stay at one for a good long while. <laughs> Uh, this was a very professional wrestling contest and all that that entails. It just kind of felt a bit hollow in the end there. I'm sure it was kind of a weird interlude for BJ, who's usually getting his head kicked in and bleeding buckets on every show to just have this, this wrestling contest. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot to it. Uh, <laughs> you know, when Alice in Danger yelled out the slur, it's not like you just overheard it, you know, focusing on the ring. The camera cut to her saying this to the fans, so it's a little hard to avoid. <laughs> Curious choice of editing right there. Uh, I think Daniels invented the code breaker during this match because that did seem... Um, <laughs> he just seemed to kind of pull that spot out. But, uh, yeah, everyone hugs afterwards, and uh, and that's that. So, yes. 
Yeah, after the match, Daniels grabs the mic, and I swear to God, you can hear a fan clearly say, thanks for killing us momentum after, and, and then he says, I couldn't quite make out, but like, you know, beating Necro, or he says something Necro. So some smarky fans even like getting on Daniels for beating Whitmer. It's like, it's not Daniels' fault. Yeah, he's not the but, booker. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel says, uh, time for a little gospel, according to the fallen angel. He talks about bringing BJ into the prophecy stable years ago because he saw potential in him, a guy who would be loyal to a cause until the end of his life. And he says that's what BJ is doing right now for Ring of Honor. Daniel says ROH is damn lucky to have Whitmer carrying their banner. BJ has proved how tough he is. So whenever he wants a rematch with Daniels, he's got one. And if he ever wants a tag partner in this war against CZW, you've got one. I uh, checked in cage match for the rest of this run Daniels has. Uh, Whitmer and Daniels never team together or wrestle each other ever again. So, Matt, another trend that's been happening in recent Ring of Honor, which is Daniels teasing things that never happened. So he was also the guy that was like, um, with the CCW feud in general, he's like, you know, I could be part of the CCW feud. And he te- or no, not even that. Uh, it was the Claudio thing, right? Like, you know, yes. you and me, Claudio, one day after Claudio, you know, turned on Ring of Honor after the handshake. It's like, it's like two or three things now that like threads Daniels has dropped that they just never pick up on. But, Anyway, um, BJ goes for a handshake, but instead Daniels has him do the prophecy hand gesture with him. Danger, Allison Danger then grabs the mic and Oldham almost immediately has to shut down a heckler. Danger then says, Whitmer did some rotten things to her. She did some rotten things to him and she apologizes. And they hug as you hear a few fans shout for Danger to give Whitmer the giant lollipop she brought to the ring. She does not give Whitmer the giant novelty lollipop. Uh, Whitmer then touches Danger's ass and Daniels playfully slaps his hand away and raises his arm. Danger raises Whitmer's other arm and I just wrote, we're all friends here in the notes. So, man, uh, I just, just seeing like the, the, the two hecklers with Danger, it's like, man – it in some ways it must have like really sucked to be a, a woman in like wrestling like trying to like get decent respectful reactions from crowds in any era but i think probably in this like indie era especially cuz there's just so much like toxic male energy from these crowds and it's sad because they're kind of going to be a half lost generation because I think I even saw it might have been Alice in Danger herself, some one of the women, but I think it might have been her saying something like, you know, how, you know, her generation walks so the women today could run, you know, stuff like that. I've seen other people say that. And it's true. Like they're not going to get the credit they get, but like they, these, like I'm not saying women wrestlers today do not face still inequities and challenges. Oh my God. And yeah, no, definitely. Tons. Yeah. But I ha- do believe. They are accepted more today than these women were at this point. And there's more opportunities for them today than these women got, you know, like. Yeah, and I'm we, sure if you, and I'm sure if you go to indie shows now, you probably still hear like misogynistic shit being yelled at women. But like, I think it's definitely less accepted and, you know, less accessible to do that. And I think it'll be more likely to be shouted down if you do that than you would have back in 2006. Yeah, like, like, like even me, you know, at the start of this being like grateful that the crowd didn't, at least to my ears, audibly like be awful to that women's match. And just that there was a women's match and I got like 11 minutes. Like that's what the, the bar was at this point. Like that was the pleasant surprise, you know, and, you know, I, I feel bad for there were some talented women that they had to really fight just to get scraps at this point in wrestling history. And hopefully that progression just keeps continuing for the next couple decades. But, um, yeah, so at the end, uh, Dave wrote in the Observer, they appeared to reform the prophecy with Alice in Danger after the match, which, uh, no, Dave, not really. And, but Dave writes, but I'm told this was just a way to end their feud and tie up loose hands. 
I did appreciate that I do – one thing I like about Ring of Honor is they do go the extra mile to tie up loose ends. But I do feel like it was kind of bad for Whitmer where this was like the most important part of his indie career probably. He was really gaining momentum. And then to not just lose a match clean but to lose it to another baby face. Like he like, – like BJ was the, the – of the three people in this match, Allison Danger, Christopher Daniels, and BJ Whitmer, Whitmer was clearly the third most over person in this match. And I think part of that's like what you said, Matt, where fans had not seen like his big performances yet. I mean we talked about that. That Sean Radkin report said they were just starting to sell the WrestleMania DVDs at the show and stuff like that. Like – you know, the, you hadn't seen the the big BJ Whitmer performances yet, the, yeah. these live fans, but it still resulted in – if you just watch this match, BJ Whitmer kind of comes off as kind of a dork with the pre-show pro, pre-match promo and, you know, kind of small potatoes compared to the other two. So, And also, yeah. there's really – the only argument that I could see for why it makes sense for Daniels to win this match at all – is to make his loss to Matt Seidel mean more. Because otherwise, like, Whitmer was the guy who was on the rise and, like, who was being in more prominent positions. He should have won, you know? Yeah, and I still just don't get why. You you could have done the whole, you know, you could have done the brawl and then had, after the match, the same B.J. Whitmer apology thing. And you could even add, well, after that match, I really respect you more. But maybe it is, like you said, Matt, maybe they just didn't, maybe TNA, maybe they didn't want to get... Daniels until like a, a rougher match who knows but or maybe they didn't want to because it was a face versus face match maybe they didn't want to jeopardize the fans turning on one of the wrestlers although the fans for this match basically picked Daniels anyway so either way it's intermission Gary Michael Capetta is backstage with Jimmy Raven Prince Nana Nana immediately tells Gary to shut up uh Nana's pissed off at Davey Richards he Davey Richards thinks he can come in here with his moves and his smile he says I just like his moves and his smile trying to charm all the promoters Rave says that Richards doesn't know what Rave has been through with this company Rave was here on the first do or die he was a company whipping boy he came back and became the greatest thing the company ever saw he's held together the greatest feuds of Ring of Honor history he runs this place he isn't gonna let some overhyped overrated punk come out and make his name off of him Rave calls Davey win a fluke and says he needs a rematch the sooner the better and of course he will get on the very next show and that brings us to the first match back from intermission Shingo Takagi defeats Ricky Reyes via pinfall in six minutes 51 seconds after he hit the blood fall which for people that have never seen that move that's I guess I would describe this like an attitude adjustment that starts in a torture rack um the observer writes that this match was supposed to go longer so I don't know why a match then only went 651 uh Joe you know I, get, I don't think this is necessarily the start of T- Shingo's excursion because I think it takes a little while before he comes back. But, you know, this was kind of, you know, a sign of things to come. Shingo was going to get his, uh, you know, a regular spot in Ring of Honor for a little while. And, Joe, you get to say, you get to be one of those people now that everyone's on the Shingo train. You get to say, I saw him right at the start. You, you get you get those bona fides. Yeah, I have to correct you. It is uh, Shingo Takaji, according to uh Bobby both, Cruz and the announcers, announcers both yeah. announcers yeah. so apparently we've been saying it wrong uh all all these years uh yeah I know it's it's easy to say in hindsight but I distinctly remember after this match thinking like oh this guy's got potential because you know for the, your post intermission whatever match I thought this I dug this a ton I thought you know they beat the heck out of each other I shot thought Shingo had his explosiveness even back then, you know, it was, it's not like a classic or anything, but they did some uh, some cool stuff. Shingo hit a top rope brain buster and uh, his uh, wacky move for for the win. So, yeah, you know, as batters go, you know, 
as we record this today, Shingo headlined a big New Japan show for the title. And uh, it's really cool to see his kind of humble beginnings way back when. Yeah, I I, um, I like this more than I thought it, I would. I, I, it's not amazing, but I think it, I would rate this again. Another on the show, a lot of really strong above averages that are approaching good on my old mental, vague internal scale. I think it's the closest to a sprint that Ricky Reyes gets in Ring of Honor. Like he goes at a pretty decent pace with a bit of a more of a spark in his work that I don't get much. That I don't get much of the like the wrestling robot vibes that he sometimes gives me. And uh, yeah, it was cool to see Young Shingle breaking out like the sleeper giants swing that's such a cool move um you know it's this was pretty much all action i I, this was supposed to go on longer according to the observer like i just said but that's interesting because i thought it worked really well it's kind of just like less than seven minutes of like just all action kind of didn't overstay its welcome and uh reyes's ring marker now is in a really weird position because he's like his mini push of squashing low card guys and students is kind of over but he still will squash a guy once in a while but then he'll also lose to Shingo, you know, in seven minutes. So he's kind of in this weird, like the end is coming for Reyes, but he's kind of, it's not there yet. It's kind of a weird part point in his career. Um, Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, I'd say I like this even more than you. I think this was, you know, for the length and the ambition of the match, I thought this was very good. Um, in, in terms of just like you said, a sprint, like, you know, and I usually find Reyes matches, you know, on the dull side, even when they're not that long. And this was, yeah, like you said, all action, really exciting. Everything was was well executed. You know, Shingo, I think, even at this era, brought a lot of charisma and, you know, a personality to the proceedings. I think Reyes seemed motivated to go fast and hard at Shingo. And, yeah, I, I thought, you know, even though Shingo's offense didn't quite have a ton of variety yet, you know, he hit like a few lariats in a row and things like that. I think that he really made a good showing for himself. I thought as far as, you know, sub seven minute ROH matches in this era goes, this was one of the best ones. Uh, Joe, we are going to get, what do you think about our next match? The ring of honor. Actually, I, I should, there's actually an introduction I have to talk about before. So up next, we have the ring of honor world title match. Brian Danson, the champion successfully defends the title when he defeats homicide via ref stoppage in 25 minutes, 43 seconds with the, I guess you would call them the MMA elbows. They are the elbows that Brian picked up that he, you know, you, people who watch them even today will see them regularly now, but they were inspired by a, a Gary, famous Gary Goodridge knockout in the UFC, early UFC. Um, so anyway, after Danielson and uh, Thomas entered the ring, just before Bobby Cruz is about to make the ring introductions, Samoa Joe's music hits and out he comes in street clothes. He grabs the mic and he welcomes Connecticut to Ring of Honor. Danielson says, these people don't deserve crap. They don't deserve to see him. The crowd chants, Joe's going to kill you. Joe stares Homicide down. Homicide off mic says, Joe hasn't even been champ for two years, which is kind of a, kind of a sick burn. Although, I guess if you're Joe, you could say, well, you've never been champ here. Um, also, it's not actually true. It's more like a year and a half, a little bit less than that. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe not such a sick burn. Coming down with the weather burn. Um, Smokes shouts, go back to Orlando at Joe. Uh, Joe says, it's no secret that he and Homicide have never had quite an understanding, but at a time when Ring of Honor needed warriors, men, not mice, dogs, not pussies, Homicide stepped up, and he has Joe in the fans' appreciation for that. Did you know that dogs and pussies were like opposites, apparently? (laughs) (laughs) And so were men, and men and mice apparently are too. It's like what uh, you know. My dad always used to say, "It's raining dogs and pussies." Um, that, that John Steinbeck classic of dogs and pussies. <laughs> of dogs and pussies. 
Jesus. Anyway, um, Joe offers a handshake to Homicide when Danielson snatches away the mic and he says, Joe has no business interrupting his match. The crowd chant shut the fuck up at Danielson. Danielson says, when Joe is champ, he, he Brian never inter- interrupted one of his matches. Joe says he's here to be the special guest ring announcer. Joe then introduces this match as our semi main event, really emphasizing, emphasizing the semi to burn Danielson. Uh, Joe does the ring intro for Homicide. He does a really good job, actually. And then he introduces Danielson as your temporary Ring of Honor champion. Danielson asks him to intro him as the best wrestler in the world. Joe instead introduces Danielson as the palest wrestler in the world. And then Joe goes to sit at ringside to watch the match with Bobby Cruz. So Joe did not work this show. This is the extent of Joe's involvement along with a post-match angle. Uh, he was working with a knee injury lately. And um, uh, the Observer writes, Samoa Joe didn't wrestle on the show. He did work in Birmingham, Alabama for Wrestle Birmingham the night before, but was more of a comedy match with BG James. And here that probably wouldn't have worked. Joe did the ring announcing for the show. Joe told Game Sapolsky he could work if needed, but could only go at half speed. And Sapolsky felt, why give the fans Joe at less than his best when he wasn't advertising any match to begin with and risk slowing down his healing? So... It, kind of amazing to think Joe over you, you book some of Joe in 2006 and you book him against BG James, but you know, different promoters yeah. have different ideas of what to do. Joe was great um, here. Joe was great here though. I miss Samoa Joe being funny. I think that he should try to be funny again these days. He was very good. So Joe, what'd you think about this match? Uh, I thought this, uh, well, when, when this was the semi main, we kind of all figured out, well, homicide's not going to win the title because, that would be a, a, a huge emotional moment. So why would you not end the show that way? So we, we all kind of figured out, oh, okay, I guess I don't know what's going to happen here. I thought this match was incredible. It went 26 minutes. It felt about half of it. It went back and forth for quite a while. And, you know, it was just, it was always interesting. I, I like when Homicide was going to use the ring bell, but the ref talked him out of it. So it's like, oh, doesn't want to get DQ'd. But then he just, like, uses, like, a title belt later on. Just My ultimate pet peeve, but yes. Yeah, that was a little a little silly. But uh, Dragon finally takes over, tosses Homicide onto a table, and works over the shoulder. Uh, just really excellent storytelling there. Homicide makes a comeback with a super atomic drop, which is or a super inverted atomic drop, which is probably a first, I feel. It goes back and forth. It's a hot stretch. The crowd's just molten for the whole thing. And uh, and the ref stops it when the Danielson's elbowing homicide. It was, um, I mean, this had it all, like uh, the storytelling, the crowd, uh, Jimmy Bauer showed up. And uh, I thought Danielson was just out of this world in this match. It was the best thing on the show by a factor of about about 10. We can get into the post-match in a bit. Uh I probably am going to be the love on this match. I like this was the best match on the show thus far. I, I thought this was like very good, almost great. I did not like this as some of the other Homicide Danielson matches. You know, this is the eighth Homicide um, Danielson singles match in Ring of Honor in this span of a little over two years. I still think their original one in 2004 is my um, is my favorite. Uh, this is a very good match. It, I like that, you know, they really, this match had a really clear beginning, middle, and end. I thought it had like a nice sense of progression and ramping up to the final end. I thought the crowd was really into the big homicide near falls at the end. Um, uh, one nitpick actually is that the crowd, did, they, the match didn't really take advantage of that at the end. Like the crowd gets up big for a homicide frog splash, it, like to the point where I'm like, you really think he could win with a move he never wins with? And then they follow that with maybe like one more homicide near fall the rest of the way, like a lariat, 
uh, from homicide that gets a near fall. And Prezak, I thought on commentary, added some nice psychology to that. But he said, like, you know, Danielson had worked on homicide's arm for the match. So, like, Prezak on commentary is like, you know, the impact's reduced because of all the work Danielson did on the uh, arm, which I thought was a nice way of kind of protecting that finisher from homicide. And I really thought it was one of those matches where I was like, you guys, like you got, you worked so hard to build them up to this high. And then you don't like kind of stay in that zone long enough for my taste. Like you could have gotten another couple huge homicide near falls, I think. And they, they, that would have made the fit that would have pushed it to me to that extra level. And the other thing I thought about the match was like, I just thought the first half was a lot of good tentacle wrestling, but it just, it didn't quite engage you as much as I would want. And the, my last nitpick would be the thing Joe mentioned. I'm sure like Matt, you so everyone who's a long time listener to through the years will know it's a nitpick of Matt's, but yeah, the inconsistent rules in ring of honor where again, I like the spot of, of homicide wanting to hit Daniels with a foreign object. And then it, it, it like puts over how important the title is to the homicide that homicide for once is like, okay, I, I can't do this because that's how important this match is to me. I got to win. And then they, they, they both guys hit each other with like stuff later in the match. So it's like, again, is that classic ring of honor rules mean something when they want them to mean something. And the second they don't want them to mean something, it doesn't mean anything, but I am kind of underselling the match. It is very good match. Again, best match clearly by, by a wide margin up to this point in the show, really, really good. Um, just I've seen better, I think, from these two. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I've never, I don't think, ever said this to you, Trevor, but I think you need to watch this match again. I, I think you missed something. Um, I've, I don't think I've never said that to you, have I? No, I don't think so. Yeah, this was, you know, I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the best of five series between these two. I think the only Homicide versus Danielson match that comes close to this would be the first one that you mentioned in 2004. I was live at the the match where Homicide beat Danielson for the title at Final Battle, which we'll obviously review eventually. But, I, I mean, I have to watch it again, but that was an incredible moment. But I think as a match, this one eats it alive. I honestly do. Like I, I remember, not, I don't, I didn't like that match as much as most people do. This match, I think, actually had a more engaged crowd, except for like you know the big moments near the end of that other one. Um, this was a totally different Danielson match in that like he doesn't really like you know milk the crowd. He's not you know being slow and working it. He's just like they go a mile a minute for a half hour. How long was the match exactly? I'll go twenty six uh, something. Yeah. So like yeah, so they go a mile a minute for like a half hour. Like I didn't remember this match too well, but I feel like this is the hidden gem of this title reign. Like if you want to talk about an unsung match of this title reign, it's this one. Um, they they just go a mile a minute. You know they do have the uh, you know the shoulder work, so there's that kind of psychology, and you know just lots of really great moves, um, lots of great moments. Um, but I but what also puts it over the top for me is the finish like i i think at the time maybe people were you know found it a little bit cheap i think it is such a smart finish and like you could talk about the post match but like it plays into so many storylines so well i was so super impressed with the entire production i think this match is like i don't know just i, I couldn't believe how much i liked it like I, I really didn't remember it i thought it was like Joe said incredible. I think I would use that word too. Like just uh, one of the best, one of the best ROH matches of the year so far. 
Yeah, I, I maybe I do need to rewatch it because I know I'm the low vote like in general on this match, and I I love Brian Destin's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Like I and I love Homicide. I just uh, it's not that I didn't like the match. Yeah, I just I I don't quite see. I'll have to re. I do agree the finish is great too. Like I, I agree with you. It, it like checks every box that you need for this right now because Danielson was trying. This was him just starting to try and get over the idea that he could end matches via knockout with those elbows, and it's great because. You want Homicide to feel screwed to set up the post-match and to play into that long history of Homicide. But it's one of those matches where he's screwed, but, like, he's not really screwed. I mean, he lost the match. You know, you could argue. I mean, you, I, I don't think the ref made – I don't think they played it like the ref made a horrible call. But Homicide still has the right to say, I never quit. You know, I never got pinned. That kind of stuff. And I really – I think one thing, though, we can all agree on, I, I think that, like, Look, we can disagree about this match. We we can't disagree on this. Is the best part of this match is at some point during it, Smokes gets a fake sword from someone in the crowd and he just starts holding the fake sword and, and he offers it to Hamas at one point before and then Smokes realizes he goes, "Quote, this shit is fake." <laughs> like like the sword. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's mad, like he's mad about it. Like, like, like he thought like he just discovered this sword is not real. It is probably plastic. Um, I have another good Smokes so, moment where he's like, at one point, like, Homicide's in a hold and Smoke yells, breathe in, breathe in through your nose, breathe out through your mouth. And then he just follows it by saying, breathe through your nose and breathe through your mouth, which I think is good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two good things to breathe through. Double breathe. Um, and, and Gabe even jumps on this on the, on the mic for this match on commentary to um, thank the fans of New England and then to do the classic Gabe foreshadow the finish saying he's worried about homicide snapping with his history of doing that. But uh, so after the match, the crowd chants bullshit loudly at the ref stoppage. And even Samoa Joe at ringside gets pissed. He takes off his jacket. He gets in the ring. He's yelling at the ref. Homicide screams on the mic that he never gave up. Homicide tries to snatch the title from Danielson, but Danielson stops him from doing that. The crowd chants five more minutes as Joe tries to calm Homicide down. Joe also asks for five more minutes. Uh, the crowd then chants, fuck the ref up. And Adam Pierce comes to the ring in mid-cell phone call. Homicide tackles referee Todd Sinclair, and Joe tells Pierce to get Cornette on the phone. Pierce hands the phone to Todd Sinclair. He talks on the phone for a little bit and then hands it back. Pierce then listens to whoever's on the phone, I guess Jim Cornette, and then he grabs the mic. He tells everyone that he just got off the phone with Jim Cornette. Pierce says he saw that Homicide never tapped. He never gave up. Pierce says he calls Cornette, and Cornette talked to Sinclair, who he respects as a ref, even if maybe no one else does. Pierce rules that if that in the best interest of wrestler's safety, he has chosen to uphold the ref's ruling. Homicide immediately jumps Todd Sinclair again. He bites his hand as Homicide tries to pull him off. Danielson gets back in the ring, and he chop blocks Samoa Joe from behind, hitting his bad knee before he leaves. So we're continuing that feud as well. The crowd chants Sinclair sucks as he's carted away to the back. The fan chants turn to screw job. Homicide grabs the mic to say he's been screwed over by Ring of Honor since day one, and he's had it with his company. He ends up leaving through the crowd with smokes. We hear two fans talk like loudly, like into the camera mic, and one of the, and it's perfect because this is playing into something that Ring of Honor was trying to get people to believe. And you can hear one fan say, "Are are they going to ECW?" Talking about smokes and uh, homicide, and the other fan goes, "He might he goes he might be." That's what he said, ECW. So going to the Observer, Observer wrote at the time. 
Homicide said he was tired of always being screwed over and said he quit. Fans started saying ECW because of the rumors of him going there. I don't know if that would be the des- should be if that should be the desired reaction at a Ring of Honor show, but the idea behind this was to have him quit to play on the rumors of him going to ECW. Dave also then writes, he's not, at least at this point, or unless he grows several inches fast. People were into all of this more than anything else on the show. So yeah, for people that don't remember the timeline, this was just months away from WWE relaunching ECW as like not, a TV not, no, brand. Not, again. not months, like days. Okay, a couple weeks later. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and I guess there was rumors, that, you know, that you know, with Paul Heyman having booking, that you know, Paul would want to bring some indie darlings in, as Paul Heyman likes to do. And I guess there was rumors, and, and you know, that they kind of smartly. Another thing that makes this angle smart is they booked it right around that time. So you would think not only does it play into like the longer form are are angle of homicide feels like he's been screwed in the past he's now going to be on the outs at ring of honor again when they feel like they need him the most during the czw feud but also plays into this idea of maybe you could fool the fans to be even thinking for a week or two that he's not going to be in ring of honor anymore but i I just think that if they brought him in they would have like had him just play the zombie (laughs) we'll have smokes telling the zombie to breathe in through his mouth but um this was i mean this 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 was this was another great thing i mean like between the Playing off the you know the the newly um, anointed finish of Danielson's elbows, to you know Homicide's past screw jobs, to even foreshadowing the Jim Cornette heel turn uh, a month or so later, like it, this just checked every box as far as booking. This was just super fantastic main event like screw job finish booking if they were going to do it. I was very impressed. Yeah, I think Gabe Ring of Honor booking at its best. One thing he does really well, he talked about things like some of the, like the big multi-man matches, like the first survival of the fittest or, or, or stuff like that. Like I think Gabe, when he's at his best, one of the things he does really well is having like multiple threads around one wrestler, you know, like how Danielson sometimes has multiple feuds or even this, like you just mentioned, like there's four or five different kind of threads you can pull about this homicide angle relating to all sorts of different feuds that are happening that have already happened. Like that are things are going to happen down the line. Like he's really good at that kind of stuff when he's on his game. And this was like, go on. Now, another weird thing, like when we first started this podcast, I don't think we could have predicted like when we see Adam Pierce come out as like the lieutenant commissioner, like with the phone and so like like that he was just going to be like back in that role in WWE. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's that's so weird. Yeah, like it, it's crazy just to see that. Like, it, it's still weird to me when you see people on WWE say like Adam Pierce, like it's, that, that just doesn't get nor like just like of all people, like hearing people on WWE saying Adam Pierce. It just continues to be weird. Um, just saying the name Adam Pierce. <laughs> it, it is. To me, it is. But uh, we have our main event next the ROH tag team title match. Generation Next, Austin Aries and Roderick Strong successfully defend their titles when they defeat the Briscoes, Jay and Mark. In 18 minutes, 15 seconds, when Strong pinned Jay after they did a combination power bomb, top rope drop kick to him. Um, the observer said it was hard for them as the crowd was burned up from the prior match. Sean Radikin said, this was a good match, but I expected more out of it. I might be the crazy person here. I just was on the last match, apparently. This was my match of the night. I thought this was a bit better than the last match. A completely different kind of match. I thought this was really good. Um, I thought this was a great match. In fact, I'd go, if I had to do, do starrings, I'd go four, maybe even four and a quarter stars for this. And so for people that listened to the last show, which had the original Aries and Strong Briscoe's match. This is the immediate rematch. You know that Matt and I thought that was like a letdown. That's like not a crazy opinion. I think a lot of people who watched that match thought so. so it was not a bad match. 
given how great those teams are. It was a letdown. And I remember, I think on that show, talking about I was so frustrated because it was like that was the Jay, the show right after Jay Briscoe died. I would have loved to have a match where I could sing his praises. He's one of the most consistent wrestlers out there. Like of all the shows to get like the rare kind of eh, Briscoe's match. This is the match I expected from them. And I I know you were saying like their match in the UK is probably going to eclipse this easily, but I thought this was really good. There, there, there was a level of inventiveness in this match that was completely missing in that previous match they had. And it was just a feast of entertaining action from beginning to end, but it was bookended by really good stretches at the start and the end. I get the start. You had the really hot opening where the Briscoes jump strong in Aries, strong took to the air. He jumped from the top rope, top turnbuckle to the floor, which is something you rarely ever see from Roderick strong. Um, Aries did like the heat seeking missile, you know, tope, but through the bottom rope, except he did it as a double clothesline to both Briscoes, which looked just friggin' amazing. You get a hot brawl around the ring before it settles into a regular tag match. And then it's just a, like a real good tag match. It's just constantly moving, never boring, changes back and forth in momentum, not a mile a minute, but just a good, consistently giving you your fill of action. And I love like the stuff Aries did to both Briscoes at the same time, be it that double clothesline tope he did an elbow drop off the top off the second rope to the floor on both briscoes while they were stacked on top of each other he finley rolled one briscoe onto the other and then hit them both with a frog splash at the same time covered them at the same time just stuff like that just inventive cool stuff there was this great little moment where mark gets whipped into the turnbuckle and he just does in one fluid motion like steps up to the set turnbuckle and then twists around and charges right back into a back elbow counter just really cool stuff um and then the end i thought was really good because what the they do at the end is something you see in a lot of tag matches nowadays where you do like the counter 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 like you know counter all our stuff and but a lot of matches they do it nowadays where it is so quick and so fluid and so bang 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 that it feels kind of like overly choreographed and a bit like a dance. I felt like this match found like the perfect sweet spot where you get stuff that's inventive, like Aries carrying the doomsday device into a victory roll as one Briscoe's flying through the air. You get the Briscoe's countering, you know, the half Nelson backbreaker into the 450 sequence multiple times, but they weren't always doing like the most crazy inventive counter and they weren't, they spaced them out just enough in the final couple minutes where it still kind of felt organic, but it still had all that drama and, and kind of neat inventiveness. And I just, I thought this was a great tag match. I, you know, it's, you know, it's not the best match from either team, probably not their best match together. Probably once we get to their, the match they do in the UK, but I just thought this was a match I wanted them to have on the last show. But Matt, am I am I overhyping this match now? I don't think you're overhyping it. I think I would agree with everything you say except for the part where you compare it to the previous match because that match just <laughs> I had had a little bit more of like an epic feel to it and, you know, more more you know, more interesting booking and just longer and but but I what you say about this match in a vacuum, I totally agree with. Super entertaining the whole time they start with a really fun brawl on the outside with lots of cool dives and like i mean even just that first strong like cross body from the top rope to onto both briscoes he got such good air on that like and then they followed up with a heat seeking missile and then they followed that up with aries in his double elbow off the you know walking the the second second rope you know just so much great stuff just in that like first like three or four minutes um you know there was one like i like how they cover for stuff like there was one spot where i think you, you might have mentioned it where the briscoes try to do that 
a double team like Keith Lee style Beal out of the corner on Aries, which the Briscoes do sometimes. But I think Aries, like in, as he got thrown, realized he wasn't going to flip over, so he just took the bump face first. And I thought that looked really cool, like and it was a good improv. Um, I, you know, I think all the Briscoes' offense looked great. Um, I think all of the all the Generation X offense looked great. It's it was it was just fast paced enough to be really excited. And like you said, just you know they 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 let the moves breathe just enough that they didn't feel super choreographed. I think actually in general, the Briscoes were good at not seeming too choreographed. Um, they, they just, they, they made things seem like a struggle. I think Aries was actually pretty good with that too, despite the fact that he was a, you know, a lot, had a lot of finesse and things like that. So I think they, they were a good pairing and I think, yeah, this was a great match. I think that the match in, um, in the UK, they allow it to get to that more like epic level, but, this was fantastic. Yeah, I, I think this is another match that I don't, you know, because it got overshadowed by a later match, just like uh, Danielson and Homicide, you don't really think of this match that much. But I think it was definitely deserving of the main event spot. And I also didn't really think it was like, I thought the crowd was into it. Like, they, yeah, they were a bit quiet at the beginning, but it didn't take them super long to get them back into it. So I, I don't think that was really an issue. Yeah, much better than the match in um, in Jersey, even though I thought that was a good match too. But yeah, great match. Only match on the show better was the incredible match that came right before it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, there was one fan according to Sean Radikin, that old man fell asleep during the match. But uh But he loved Joe, the post match promo. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, uh I'm gonna ask you your opinion. I know you probably like this match because I was seeing you on Twitter uh, in recent days, like, you know, clipping the highlights of this. So anyone goes to at Joe Gagne on Twitter, um, you will see some highlights from this match, actually, because Joe has actually uh, gone to the trouble putting them up there. Yeah, that's also how uh, Trevor and Matt know I'm 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 doing my homework, so to speak. <laughs> well, all right. He's, he's, well, it seems we like he's at him. the end of the show. So, all right, he can be on. Uh, no, I, the only downside, I thought the crowd was a bit... Uh, a bit poor, certainly at the start. And I mean, you know, there was that huge angle beforehand. It had been a pretty long show. The, I remember the building being very warm. So I think the crowd was just kind of spent at that point, but that's really the only downside here. I thought the match was very, very good. I, I you know, I posted a lot of clips on there cause there was some really inventive and impressive wrestling from a variety of standpoints here. You know, if you put these two teams together, it's pretty much what you would expect. And I, I remember I kind of thought, oh, they put this on last because it'll be a title change. And just kind of surprised Austin and um, and a strong one. But I guess, you know, with their announcement afterwards, I guess that, that kind of made sense. Yeah, and uh, we'll get to that announcement. Actually, I scrolled too far. Okay, after the match, um, Aries grabs the mic and he says, he knows it's past your bedtimes, but give him a, maybe he saw that old guy. Yeah, I, I really think he might have been talking specifically to that same old guy. And that's why he perked up so much. Okay, so I go, should I have been called out? Um, but, but Aries says, but give me a few seconds. And he says, there's, some, there's, there's been something that's been bugging him for the last four or five months. A fan shouts, fuck TNA. And Aries goes, it isn't that, which gets some laughs. I thought, that was, I, I thought it was nice that Aries just took the classy route there. Um, Aries says, when they formed Generation X with Jack Evans and Alex Shelley, they had one goal, to take the top spots in Ring of Honor. He says, that's exactly what we've done. I'm a former Ring of Honor world champ, and now me and Roddy were the current tag champ and we're the best tag team in the whole world. And so he says, though, then the generation, he, then he points out that, you know, Evans and Seidel are in Japan now, you know, doing their thing. They got a big Japan tour. So he goes, 
goes, the name Generation Next, it's a little outdated now. We're, we're the here and now instead. And he goes, from here on out, Generation Next is no more. It's just Aries and Strong, the tag team champion. So this is the, you know, the dissolution of Generation Next, although this is another example. It's something, you know, kind of like the BJ Whitmer dance. It's a thing. Sometimes I appreciate this, but it's interesting that Ring of Honor does this where you would think every stable should end with this big dramatic breakup where the members hate each other and they immediately go into hot money matches and all that. And we will eventually get like faction warfare between Evans and Strong and Aries. But like right now, like the dissolution of Generation Next is basically it's like a very mature, more realistic thing. It's Aries basically going like rightfully pointing out. We formed this stable to get top spots. We're all doing good now. We kind of don't need to have this stable anymore. That's it. It's like a very kind of, in some ways, anticlimactic for pro wrestling, I would say. But it's kind of cute in that way. Yeah, it just, it's just completely logical. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with just doing something because it makes sense. Although I would have liked if when he said instead, we're not Generation X anymore, we're the here and now, if he just renamed the stable the here and now. <laughs> Like just like <laughs> you can call us the here and now, and then well, but you, well, no. Gabe should have been consulting with you way back when. So, um, we go backstage where Gary Michael Capetta is there with Davy Richards. Gary says Jimmy Ravis challenged him to a rematch. Davy says it was an honor to step in the ring with Jimmy, and he asks Jimmy what he thinks will be different in a rematch. He says Rave will get his rematch, but he's going to kick harder and stretch him further. And when that happens, he asks that Jimmy remember that he asked for it. So that was the show. Uh, Sean Radica ended his live report by saying it was a decent show, but the crowd was dead for much of the night because of the booking. Uh, I think that's a little harsh. I think – there was nothing really bad on the show. I mean, the low light might have been the Whitmer Daniels match just because it was boring and went on for a while. But I, this is one of those shows I would call a B plus show where there are Ring of Honor A shows and there are B shows. This is a show that I feel falls squarely in the middle where the top two matches are rematches, but you could argue that the main event was better than the original match of the, those two teams. And I know you guys would argue that the, the, uh, Da- the Danielson uh, homicide match is way better than most of the matches they've ever had against each other. I think the undercard was all hard effort, good stuff. You know, it was interesting. You get stuff that you don't often see on Ring of Honor shows, like a strong debut where the guy just gets a hard push right out of the gate, or a women's match with a decent length, or a student match with a decent length. So, I, I thought this was a good B plus show. Um, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I thought this was a great show, like a legit great show. I mean, like, yeah, there was some. The in the first half of the show, there was some stuff that wasn't great, like the you know, I might say most of it, <laughs> other than the opener. I thought, but the second half of the show, I think, was just you know three like matches that way exceeded my memories, and you know one of them I thought was a you know not the match of the year or anything, but like one of the better ROH matches of the year so far, and and the main event was really good too. So I. I think this was just another another great show by ROH, despite it being, like you said, a B plus show. Just it's I was really surprised by how much I like this DVD. I like really yep. surprised. I, I thought it was, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say must see uh, at least the second half. Joe, would you, was it worth it after? Uh, was it worth the travel? No longer in the convenient confines of Massachusetts. Is worth going all the way up to Connecticut to to McMahon country, Joe. Well, down to Connecticut, but uh, but yes, it's like an extra fifteen minute drive, so it's not like I was uh, the horrors on some epic trek. It was funny when the the show was announced as Destiny. I kind of had it in my mind, like oh, something major is going to happen, like big title change, 
And then that didn't really happen. Like, no offense to the top of the class trophy. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> so weird. Not that, you know, not that they, not that it was called like titles will change tonight or something like that. I just kind of thought, <laughs> oh, you know, like, so, you know, I thought this would be a more significant show, but you know, it kind of was a significant show. You know, Davy Richards is here now. Uh, the women got a spotlight they really hadn't had before. Generation Next broke up, and we had advancements in the homicide story. And I thought there was nothing really bad on the show, and I thought the the show was uh, pretty great from intermission onwards. So, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, so that's uh, great stuff. And now it is time for plugs. So, Joe, anything you want to plug? I already mentioned at Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E is how you spell Gagne. In Canada, we would say it the right way. We would say Gagne, but we'll accept your weird pronunciation. But anything else you want to plug, Joe? Uh, it's funny when I try to vanity search, I get a lot of people in Canada discussing uh, Joe Biden winning the uh, the last election, which is a um a bit of a hassle. But uh, no, the uh, <laughs> go to my Twitter at Joe Gagne. Uh, Five Star Match Game is the main endeavor right now. My pro wrestling trivia podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Network. Both Matt and Trevor have been guests many many times before. It's always fun. We we pick a topic, do several rounds of trivia on it, and. The Monday Nitro episode uh, is done and should be out relatively soon after you hear this. So keep an eye out for that. And I uh, thank Matt and Trevor for having me on for the upteenth time. And we're running. We're, I think we're getting. Uh, we're running out of appearances. I think at least in terms oh, no. of what your 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 goals for this podcast are. But Joe, uh, yeah, um, just a couple left. I just want to ask. Um, how great! I, I think I know what you should be your dream guest for um, the five star match game, which should be WCW Nitro trivia with Eric Bischoff, just to see how bad he would do at it. Uh, I think like you should honestly, if you could get him on with just two random people, like to see how bad he would do. Trevor Dame levels of low scores on that show, and I would I would love that. But, <laughs> I, uh, I, I wonder. I wonder. If all, short, Trevor. Yeah, I wonder if all the people who were involved in WCW during that era who would do the best at Nitro trivia. Uh, I I don't know. Mike Tenay. Yeah, Mike. Well, Mike Mike Tenay. Yeah. Um, what, what about Glenn Gilberti? You gotta you gotta uh. get him on. <laughs> oh god! Well, that sounds like the eighth circle of hell to do a podcast with Disco and Eric Bischoff. Yeah, and and, 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 then, and then Vince yeah. Russo and then Vince Russo oh, as the god. third. Yeah, I'd say do it. It's gotta make it. Make Vince it Russo just answers every trivia question with like, "It doesn't matter. Why are you asking me this?" <laughs> it's mock, bro. It's all fake. Um, it's all fake. It's, 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 it's the right answer, though. Gotta admit, uh, <laughs> he has. You have to give him the points. And you wouldn't. don't gotta hand it to him. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so for through the years, that is t h r o h through the years at gmail dot com. I'm on Twitter at Trevor Dame. Matt's on Twitter at Mayor MGF. And yeah, if you want to send us any emails, give me some incredible business offers. Uh, I might be losing my wrestling job. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) Anyway, next time on the show, we will be covering in your face. That is the next show. Matt and I will be getting in your face all over it. It's going to be main evented by Kenta versus low, not versus love of wish Kenta versus Samoa Joe versus Brian dance in a match where Everyone around the world gets, I think you get concussed just watching that match. And, uh, it should be a lot of fun whenever Raymar goes back to New York. Joe, thank you so much for coming on again and thank all of you for listening. So until then, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.